Hello, simpletons. You're listening to The Minimalist's private podcast. Oh, what a day we have for you today. Yeah. We're going to talk about buying most things locally versus shopping online. Mm. We're going to answer a bunch of your surprise questions. We're going to talk to you about podcast Sean. Sean Harding is leaving Los Angeles. The band is breaking up. But we found another Sean. Don't worry. That's right. We have Sean Mahalik here. We're looking for his nickname. It's either Sean 2, Other Sean, New Sean. I kind of like New Sean. It's like New Coke. Remember they did that? <laughs> yeah. We could call him Pepsi Clear. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and vote. in the. If you're watching the live stream, let us know on the live stream. Is it Sean 2? Is it New Sean? Sean 2 could be T-O-O, the n- numeral 2. I do like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Go ahead and vote. Yeah, Professor Sean, P. Diddy. No. (laughs) S. Diddy. (laughs) If you're not watching the live stream, just leave a comment on Patreon. Let us know your vote. We're eager to find out. Uh, And by the way, we... We, we generally don't hire white men because we just don't like white men. (laughs) (laughs) But we had TK in here and he was like, if, if podcast Sean's leaving, I have a requirement. You have to bring on at least one more white male on the team. We can't have no white men. (laughs) And so really Mahalik is our diversity quota here. Yes. Right. That That, makes sense. (laughs) We basically only hired you for that reason. Mm -hmm. Sean also. (laughs) (laughs) Sean <laughs> <laughs> also we could also make it an infinitive and do two Sean yes. <laughs> Sean Sean etc mm. <laughs> we, we have both Sean's over there and Jordan who are all um, chiming in there you can probably tell their voices apart but we'll bring podcast Sean onto camera here in a little bit have him talk about his uh, journey and then you'll hear in future episodes from Sean Mahalik. We've worked with Sean Mahalik for a long time. And so it's actually quite difficult to even give him the moniker because he can't be, uh, I mean, he is new Sean, but he's also old Sean, Mm. but he's younger than podcast Sean. So Sean too makes sense. Sean Jr. I'm I'm not sure. Young Sean. (laughs) Yes. Although that's too much like uh, Joe Rogan. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah. And so we worked with Sean Mahalik in 2014. He was our tour manager. We did that crazy 100-city tour. Yeah. We left behind all those free local meetup groups at minimalist.org. And we were in eight countries. And he he came out to Montana from Ohio. We only get our Seans from, from Ohio, by the way. That's right. And what we've decided, though, for the longest time, we were like, oh, no, we can only work with Sean's, right? That was the, that was the main qualifier. Sean's from Ohio. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, unfortunately, Danny, Jordan, and Alabama, your name is Sean now. <laughs> Spelled S-H-A-W-N. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that way, it's way easier if I get angry. I just yell, Sean! <laughs> There's always a Sean to blame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, welcome aboard to Sean Mahalik. This is his first official episode. Now, Podcast Sean will still be editing all of the audio, all the podcasts, doing all the show notes and a bunch of other operational things with the minimalist. We'll still be working with him. But we'll talk about we'll talk to him about where he's going and and why. But we got so much more to talk about in the meantime, Ryan. Mm. I want to start with an article. Let's do more about less. Our friend Derek Sivers has this article. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. How to Thrive in an Unknowable Future. And I won't read the whole thing, but he has like five or six different tips on here. Yeah, six different tips. How to Thrive in an Unknowable Future from Derek Sivers. Number one is prepare for the worst. 
Since you have no idea what the future may bring, be open to the best and the worst. But the best case scenario doesn't need your preparation or your attention. So mentally and financially prepare for the worst case instead. I love that. It's like I always say prepare for the worst, but expect the best. Yes. Yeah. And what I like about this is prepare for the worst because you don't have to prepare for the best. If the best happens, there's no preparation at all. But having been prepared, preparing will allow you the best things to happen more frequently Mm. because, you know, let's say the financial disaster happens and you have an emergency fund. Well, the best outcome in a financial emergency is that you have the savings saved up to take care of that emergency. Oh my God, my transmission went out. Thank goodness I have this emergency fund as opposed to going into debt, which would be the worst thing that could happen there, right? Like insurance, don't obsess on it. Just prepare, then carry on appreciating the good times. That's true because, you know, I have car insurance, so I don't have to worry about car insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, once a year, I might go look at it. I'll talk to my agent. Hey, is this the best rate? Are we getting full use of our policy? Is there anything different? Mm -hmm. So staying caught up. But then all year now, I'm good to go. Yeah. Number two, expect disaster. Ooh, that's exactly the opposite of what I was saying. (laughs) He's saying prepare for the worst and expect disaster. (laughs) Every biography of a successful person has that line. And then things took a turn for the worse. Mm. Fully expect that disaster to come to you at any time. Completely assume it's going to happen and make your plans accordingly. Not just money, but health, family, freedom. Expect it all to disappear. Besides, you appreciate things more when you know this may be your last time seeing them. That's true with people. Sam Harris has this uh, thing that he talks about with, uh, there will be a time, it'll be the last time that you hold your daughter up, you know, last time you give your daughter a piggyback, right? You don't know when it's going to be. You don't have it planned out. Like, I don't have it on my calendar. Well, October 17th will be the final time, but my daughter just turned nine. And I can still give her a piggyback ride, but she's really tall. She's going to be over six feet. There's going to be some point where I'm not giving my six foot tall daughter a piggyback ride. Although she might still weigh 60 pounds then. She's rail thin still. (laughs) Yeah. But that's just because we don't feed her. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke, y'all. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you're listening, see Child Protective Services. Right. We feed her a lot. Yes. A lot of candy. (laughs) All right. Number three, own as little as possible. Mm. depend on even less. Ooh. The less you own, the less you're affected by disaster. Mm. That's so true. So I want to talk to you in a moment about this new house that I bought and that we're trying to populate with the appropriate things, the things that are appropriate for us. Mm -hmm. And owning fewer things means fewer things that I have to worry about, fewer things that can break, fewer things I have to take care of, fewer bits of psychological clutter, mental clutter, emotional clutter. Our material possessions are a physical manifestation of our internal lives. And so if I don't have to worry about all these things, it's much calmer inside as well. Mm. Number four is choose opportunity, not loyalty. Have no loyalty to location, corporation, or your past public statements. Man, this is so good because we overvalue consistency. Hmm. Oh, he's so consistent. Oh, so what are you saying? He doesn't change his mind Hmm. ever? Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't mean that you want to change your mind haphazardly, 
But clinging to a dogma from the past, clinging to your location, clinging to a corporation, clinging to your past public statements, you're going to get dragged by that clinging. Yeah. Be an absolute opportunist doing whatever is best for the future in the current situation, unbound by the past. Have loyalty for only your most important human relationships. Mm. Number five, choose the plan with the most options. The best plan is the one that lets you change your plans. Mm. Now, I read the next, the next line on the minimal episode this week. And I'll repeat it here on this private episode. Example, renting a house is buying the option to move at any time without losing money in a changing market. So choose the plan with the most options. Or what I would say is with the fewest tethers, right? Because we're all constantly tethering ourselves to all these different people, relationships, jobs, whatever. And that's okay. We talked during the middle episode about planting roots. Mm. That's one way to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. But too often we plant anchors and we have, we're anchored by all of these different things from our past and our past prevents us from moving forward. Mm. Finally, number six, Derek Sivers says, avoid planning for maximum options. Don't plan at all. Since you have no idea how the situation or your mood may change in the future, wait until the last moment to make each decision. Mm. I, I personally cringe when I hear him dole out that advice. Yeah. But I appreciate the perspective and I see what he's saying mm-hmm. here. If we plan everything out, and I used to do this in my corporate days, like every 15 minutes was planned out. Mm. We got a meeting here. We got a pre-meeting here, a phone call about the next meeting and 15 minute blocks and all you can have three of my 15 minute blocks. We'll meet for 45 minutes to have a meal here. And how incredibly stressful it was. It was freeing in one sense that I had no choices Mm -hmm. because it was all sort of planned there for me, but it stressed me out. Yeah. And now if you look at my calendar, there are very, very, very few things on it. And it's really hard for you to get time on my calendar because I'm protecting all of that time in which I don't, plan at all. Yeah. Because that's where the calm is for me. Yeah. It makes it hard to live in the moment if you're planning for every single thing because then when things don't go according to plan, it uh yeah, it's disturbing. It is. And so like if anything goes off plan now, one way to say plan is like setting up your expectations. And yeah. so if I have a bunch of plans, I also have a bunch of expectations, a lot of opportunities for disappointment. Mm. Let's talk about we were having this conversation in the bathroom, Ryan, about a week or two ago, downstairs from the studio. Where we have most of our enlightening conversations. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, that empty feeling, right? Yeah. We often hear people use that term empty as a pejorative. I feel empty or I feel a void. And, yeah, I feel and, like something's missing. And I need to fill that emptiness with mm-hmm. whatever is missing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think... There's another question that goes that that I would like to follow that up with. Mm. Empty of what? I think that's the question in itself. When right. someone says I feel empty, they have if they knew what to fill it with, they would they would do that. That's why uh, you know, we, we go for the low hanging fruit with, with uh, material things. Right. Or, oh man, I wish I had a woman in my life. And then we, you know, we don't do so deliberately and we bring someone into our life that maybe isn't a great match. Yeah, they match merely because they have a Y chromosome and it's like, well, I that's not what you actually wanted, right? Yeah. And if you're just filling it, you know, all willy nilly, then um, 
you're almost creating, uh, you're maybe feeling the, the emptiness was one thing, but then you're creating an emptiness somewhere else in your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And let's talk about those emptinesses because I would like to say that the emptiness is not a bad thing mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to be filled. Uh, I want to be clear about that because empty of what will illuminate a lot of questions, a lot of further questions. So this room is empty of giraffes. It is. And thankfully, we need more giraffes. I'm so glad you finally noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, with uh, if we just put a giraffe right here, mm-hmm. it's going to take away from the experience of podcasting, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, empty of what? Empty of books? Empty of this room's empty of screens, except for what Jordan is using for the video monitoring. Yeah. But you and I, we print out our production notes here. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to be separated by the glowing screens. We've decided that we like the space to be empty of screens so we can have more meaningful conversations together. So actually, I prefer the emptiness in many cases. I don't want it to be filled with drafts or I own books, but they're not in here. So this room is empty of books. Yeah. Yeah. It's empty of screens. I want that emptiness. So what is the emptiness I want? Mm. In many cases, you actually want the emptiness. Emptiness. so the same is true with a song. You know, if you're playing a song, you're playing multiple notes, but you're also what makes those notes beautiful and musical are the spaces between the notes. The emptiness yeah. between the notes is what makes the music. And I would say the emptiness of life is also what makes a meaningful life. Mm. Because if a life is so hectic and chaotic, think about your 20s and my 20s, but especially your 20s, I hate Ryan. about my 20s, but all right. <laughs> you would feel every hour with what you now recognize as chaos. But back then, you maybe recognized it as networking opportunities or friends or camaraderie Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. You felt compelled to fill every moment of every day and it adds to the chaos and more chaos begets chaos. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you're living in this chaotic situation There's no emptiness between the notes. There's no space between the notes. Mm. And no wonder it feels like noise. It's a noisy life. And then we start, what? When we're decluttering, what are we doing? Mm. We're inserting emptiness into our lives. Oh, yeah. We're decluttering relationships. We're decluttering material possessions. We're decluttering our careers. We're decluttering our finances, not by adding more, but by subtracting, by adding the emptiness into our lives. Yeah, we're making room. Man, um, kind of what I hear you saying is if our lives are empty, that's okay. The, it, the question is, is, you know, what is that emptiness? Um, but, you know, to take it a step further, I would posit that we need to get comfortable with feeling a little bit of emptiness. And I remember I brought this up on uh, the Ken Coleman show that we did. And he kind of disagreed. He's like, no, no, you can fill it. You can, you know, you could feel whole and, you know, you just got to do these things. And I think there are people out there who probably do feel full and they feel whole. And I am jealous of those people. Hmm. Um, but as I get wow. older, what I've realized is, you know, that void or that emptiness, um, the goal for me used to be to fill the void. Uh, or even worse, I would find ways to like ignore the void, pacify myself and kind of, you know, uh, numb those feelings. Right. But now it's more about having that void as narrow as possible. Not that I focus on, okay, how narrow is my void today? Mm. But the question is, is like, how empty am I feeling? And if I'm feeling this huge void, then I got to ask myself, okay, like, 
how how are things going right now with my health? How are things going right now with my relationships? I look at those foundational values and that's kind of where I can maybe find something where I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't talked to my Oma in three months and um, would really love to connect with her and, and uh, you know, re- reach out to her. Um, but sometimes I look at those buckets and they're all full. Yeah. And I still feel this emptiness, and, but it's okay. It's mm-hmm. not something that I try to run from anymore. It's not something that I try to um, ignore or numb. Um, I, I have learned to be comfortable with that emptiness. It's kind of like, I think about, uh, you know, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, I had all these answers. I knew exactly why we were here, you know, where, where life was going, um, how things were going to end up and things would eventually be, you know, a paradise. And now eventually, eventually, right. Well, Hey, it could be paradise now if you allow it. Amen. (laughs) But you know, I, I get, more and more comfortable with not just the emptiness, but not having answers. Like I don't need answers to, you know, why are we here? Where are we going? Um, we all have those questions, but uh, not having those answers, like I'm getting more and more comfortable with. Yeah. I like what you're saying here, even though I look at it from a different perspective from you. And mm-hmm. I think part of it has to do with our personalities. I think we get to the same place is you talk about narrowing the void with me personally, as an extreme introvert, I actually have been more focused in the last, especially the last couple years, mm-hmm. with expanding the void. Oh wow! And and then recognizing that it is filled. It's filled with emptiness, mm. and it's empty of the things that I no longer want in my life. Mm. The relationships I don't want anymore. They're not in my void. The cities that I don't want to live in anymore are not in my void. Mm. The material possessions that I used to have certainly aren't in my void anymore. And I, what I've really done is I've made all this beautiful space to sit in. And it's not empty in the sense that it's lacking. It's empty in the sense that it doesn't need more than what is here right now. Mm. When, you, when you said uh, sitting, it made me think of a chair, right? And there is this emptiness right where your butt goes. And if that was full... <laughs> It would be a very uncomfortable seat. Yes, yeah, very postmodern seat. Have yeah. you seen so? There's a chair museum in uh, in um, Palm Springs. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry. As a modern art museum, they had a chair exhibit recently. Uh, okay. And you know, I really get into the 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 architecture, interior design stuff, and yeah, they had the aesthetics. They had yeah, all these old Ames chairs, like the original ones. There's the um, oh, who was the Swiss guy who built these chairs in India? Um, Pierre Jean Array mm. and his chairs are stunning, right? And just beautiful works of art. But then there are some of these other sort of postmodern chairs. You're like, if I sat in that, it might like stick something up my butt. <laughs> but it looks really cool, <laughs> which is something I don't want currently. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. We'll talk about buying things locally or really buying most things locally. What are the benefits of buying things locally versus shopping online? I want to be clear about this. I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not against buying a thing online. I'm not even against Amazon, right? Mm. In fact, for many years, Ryan, the primary way that you and I sold our books, which was a primary driver of our income, was via Amazon. Yeah, And even now, most books are sold via Amazon, Mm -hmm whether it's through a major publisher or independent publisher, not a lot of people are visiting bookstores. Now, I think it's a great place to start because the town that I just moved to, which I'll talk about here in a sec. Actually, I'll tell you where it is. Um, It's in Ventura County. 
And it's a little town called Ojai. Many of you have heard about it. I talked to my wife this morning. I said, is it okay if I talk about the town on the private podcast? <laughs> She's like, yeah, as long as you feel like, feel like it contributes to the, um, the conversation and, and to the greater good to some extent. And in Ojai, we have like three or four really great indie bookshops. Oh, wow. And, and there's only 8,000 people in this town. That's cool. But it's clearly a reading town. It reminds me of Missoula. To a great extent. Ohio yeah. is like a smaller Missoula with much better weather mm. um, and bigger mountains. Yeah. But um, very similar in the sense that it feels communal mm. and it feels small. But the difference is that you have access to the cities as well. So on a average day, it's maybe 90 minutes from here. On a great day, it's an hour and 15 minutes if you leave right at the right time mm-hmm. and, and go right at the speed limit and not a mile over. Hey, do you have something in your eye? <laughs> uh, as long as you obey all of the traffic laws perfectly. Wink. You, <laughs> you know, for the listeners who are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you would never drive over the speed limit, clearly. Wink, wink. But we moved to this. I mean, the only way I can describe it is it's paradise. And uh, the we bought a house in this neighborhood, which I'll talk about here in a moment. But one of the things I've noticed is that I'm buying many more things locally when I feel like I'm part of the community. Yeah. We have a local hardware store that is like less than half a mile from our house. Mm. We have three Mexican restaurants a block from our house. Mm. We have, um, I heard Danny just said, mm. (laughs) (laughs) Do you eat Mexican food? Uh, Yes. What do you, uh, because your diet's pretty limited. I'm I'm assuming you just get a big plate of meat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and rice, yeah. 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 Meat and rice, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy all Mexican food yeah. because of my autoimmune disease. There's a lot of it I can't eat currently. Yeah. We have an amazing butcher shop, a local butcher shop in our neighborhood that is connected to a local farm. So all of the meat is ethically slaughtered, grass-fed, grass-finished, mm. local, which is better for your local economy in several ways, right? Mm-hmm. So one is we're talking about actual people who live in the community, the money's going directly to them and it's staying in the community. Mm-hmm. If there were a Walmart locally, thankfully there isn't, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't go there anyway. But if there was, some of the money would go back into the community, but yeah. most of it's going to go back to Bentonville, Arkansas or wherever their marketing team is and yeah. New York City or whatever, right? It's not going to stay in the community. Mm-hmm. So by shopping locally, you're supporting your local community and the people in your community. Mm-hmm. By shopping locally, you tend to support local independent businesses. And those businesses aren't always, but are usually more passionate about the products and services that they create. Profit is important to them because they have to keep the lights on, they have to pay themselves, but they tend to get into a business. Like if you get into a, if you start a bookstore, a bookshop, you're not getting in it to become rich, man. Yeah. You're getting into it because you really enjoy books. Right. The local butcher isn't getting rich either, right? Mm-hmm. But they enjoy that community aspect of what they're doing. The the local restaurant owner, the local bike shop owner, supporting these people locally over a big multinational chain mm-hmm. often means that you're supporting those people locally, you're supporting your local community, and you're supporting the passions of your local community. Yeah. That said, there are times where you can't shop locally. Mm. Now, there are a few reasons for that. There's been a hollowing out of the downtowns all across America. Yeah, man. I was back in Middletown, Ohio recently, which is where a lot of my family is from. It's between, it's in the middle of Cincinnati and Dayton, hence the 
unique name of Middletown, Ohio. And um, I was downtown Middletown. And it's one of the most upsetting places that I've been because it's so hollowed out. Now, there's a revitalization effort going on there. And they're Mm -hmm. trying really hard to revitalize and bring local businesses downtown. Mm -hmm. But my God, it's... It looks apocalyptic. Yeah. And all these empty storefronts. And that hollowing out meant you can't, it's hard to support the local community. You had to go to Walmart or Target or wherever to buy just sundries or to buy groceries, right? There weren't a whole lot of local places to support. And that's because the big businesses came in and and outbid price-wise And so it's really our fault, right? We opted for convenience and slightly better prices. We put those local businesses out of business. Mm. It's not Walmart, because if none of us shopped at Walmart, the local businesses would all still be there, right? Yeah, man. We vote with our dollars, man. We really do. I think that matters more than, you know, a vote on a ballot. Because, I mean, with your dollars, you're voting every day. And you're voting for the people there. Yeah. Right there. Or you're voting for someone in Bentonville, Arkansas. Right. Nothing wrong with Bentonville. No, no, no. It's a nice old town. We've been there. Yeah. On book tour. Great people. Yeah. (laughs) And yet, if I'm dumping all my money into the Fortune 500 CEO's pockets, and again, nothing wrong with them earning money either. Mm -hmm. That is money that could be used to enhance my local community. And in a roundabout way, by enhancing my local community, it enhances my life. And that's one thing I love about moving to a small town is I've decided to move out of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I really like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people during the pandemic moved out of Los Angeles and they were fleeing Los Angeles, Mm. right? And so people were going to Nashville and Franklin, Tennessee, or they're going to somewhere in Florida or Texas or a lot of the mountain states like Colorado or Montana, mm. Arizona. A lot of these places are becoming these Zoom towns, like boom towns, but for internet uh, entrepreneurs yeah. or internet employees, people were able to work remotely. Yeah. In fact, we'll bring podcast Sean on later, and he's going to be moving back to a Zoom town here in a bit. Yeah. Sean, you're part of the problem now. Congratulations. <laughs> So you have decided that you're uh, you're going to be in Ojai for the majority of, of the time. I mean, I know you talked about kind of doing like a little studio or something down here in L.A. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're going for it, man. You're diving in. So let's talk about where I'm moving. So I'm moving to Ventura County, which is the county we look, think of it as north of here, but it's technically west of L.A. If you look at it on a map, okay. you take the 101 north and it's hour and 15 to hour and 30 minutes away from here. So if I had to come in every day into the studio, the commute would not make a whole lot of sense, right? Right, right. But since we're, we tend to be recording one or two days a week in the studio, mm-hmm. it does make a whole lot more sense. But there's a more complicated problem here. It's like, hey, you and Bex have been together. And we had several questions about this that were sent in. So I just sort of amalgamated all of them. Uh, you and Bex, my, my wife and I, We've lived apart for the last seven years, at least Mm -hmm. half the time. Yeah. She has a residence. I have a residence. And then we spend half of our time together because we're both introverts. So we've decided that living together full time isn't going to work for us. Mm -hmm. Well, how is that possible now that you bought a house together and you're you're living in Ojai? Well, thankfully, the garage (laughs) at the house is a detached garage and it's been converted into a studio apartment. And to me, 
the garage is my dream house. <laughs> right. It's aggressively simple. Yeah. So the only thing I have there, a bed, a nightstand, a table with two chairs. Now, two chairs is a lot for me, but... <laughs> Splurging a little bit there. <laughs> well, no, because we're actually going to use it as a guest house. So yeah. when... Ryan wants to come stay with us or Alabama mm. or podcast Sean or Jordan. Not new Sean, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely not Danny. He's <laughs> way too handsome. <laughs> no, any any of our friends want to come up and stay, then we will you know, give them the guest house and I will go live in the main house. Mm. The main house is not a tiny home, but it's a very simple home. Three mm. bedroom, two bath, me, my wife and my daughter. So... I'll spend half of my time living in that house. And then I have my own apartment, essentially. Mm -hmm. And what has been communicated is this apartment is, you know how like the U.S. embassy is U.S. soil? Yes. Even though you're in Singapore, the U.S. embassy, that is America, right? Right. This is sort of like that, Mm. where this is a completely different country. You can't get there from the other house, except I can. I have (laughs) teleportation abilities. right? And so... What we've decided is that I'm going to give this a shot for a while. Um, cool. It may not be enough distance for us. And mm. I have to be honest about that. But Bex and I, we talk about this a lot on her podcast, which is called How to Love. You can check it out wherever you check out podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about creating that distance, how important that distance is for our relationship to thrive, mm. to have the chemistry and the likability for one another. Mm. We wouldn't thrive in a scenario that you and Mariah are in. And mm. I think you two wouldn't thrive in our scenario. Yeah. So it's not to prescribe my lifestyle to someone else, but to realize you can have a non-traditional relationship in various ways. Mm. And for us, it means we don't live under the same roof 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We don't live under the same roof every single day. Mm. So let's talk about why did we decide to move there? Well, one reason is Los Angeles was just too expensive for us. Mm. And so we were priced out. It didn't make sense to buy a home in Los Angeles because we could not afford it. Yeah, And I didn't want to stretch myself so thin with a giant house payment that I could not afford. That didn't feel like the best option for me. Yeah, We also moved there because the schools, the unschooling, I should say, that we want to do with Ella it is there is an unschooling system set up there already. Don't they have like a couple really awesome schools up there? Yeah, they're but they're they're both unschooling schools is the way I would describe it. There's there's no structure, there's no desk, there's no there's I mean there's a little bit of structure obviously. There's boundaries, yeah. but it's not your traditional school set up with desks and raising your hand. There's no uh definitive head of the class and teacher that is barking lessons at you, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's appreciably different and it's great for her learning style. She has some, well, what some people would call learning disabilities like, like dyslexia and she has trouble reading. Yeah. But she has other capacities that far exceed the capacities of other students, especially when she's in a less rigid school environment. Yeah. And the neighborhood and the city, the community we moved to enabled us to put her in that system. Isn't that funny? Because she can't learn like your average student, she's labeled with a learning disability. But it's it's not that she has a learning disability. She just doesn't function like a normal kid does in the normal school, uh, in the normal school system. So is there a certain grade that it goes up to? But, uh, K through 12. Really? Okay, yeah. so both of these schools go K through 12. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, and so 
uh, we're we're gonna give that a shot, see how it goes. And we we've learned that the traditional school system doesn't work well for her. Yeah, and we've tried that. And does it mean it's bad? No, it doesn't mean it's good. It just is. Yeah, right. It. We also learned that it's great for compliance and, and getting kids to raise their hands, speak when spoken to, and for some kids that might work really well. Mm-hmm. For Ella, they label her with uh, ADHD. Yeah, you know, just because she doesn't want to sit in a seat for eight hours a day and. Yeah. And, and speak when spoken. By the way, she wants to be a kid, essentially. Most right. kids. And yeah. Look, can we be honest about schools for a second? I know this is a bit of a tangent, but like mm. there was always this sort of, we all commonly accepted that school sucks. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. all kids hate school. Most of the parents are not contented with the school system. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there are, a lot of the teachers are awesome, but what they've been given to work with is not a whole lot. Yeah. in terms of resources. And and so we've set up a system that is not designed to have various kids flourish. It's designed to program factory workers. And, and there was nothing wrong with that at a period of time, but most of us aren't doing that kind of rote work over and over and over. Yeah. By the way, there could be incredible meaning in that work as well. But only if you have the proclivity to pursue that type of work. Yeah. I mean, those the school systems, the public school systems are set up to help children survive, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily set up to help them thrive. I know like when I was growing up, I always had, surprise, surprise, I always had like the really tall walls around my desk mm-hmm. <laughs> so I couldn't oh, wow. talk to other kids. But it was normally because I got my work done first. So then I get bored and I'd start to help other kids with their work, you know, me being the generous man that I am. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to do that. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I did not love. I mean, I did OK. And but what I found out my high school years, though, was that I don't know why I stopped trying so hard because I'm like, I just need this one point eight <laughs> average to graduate. Yeah. Why am I going to go above and beyond to do anything more than that? And uh yeah, I really slacked off in high school. But hey, I got I got that diploma. <laughs> it's all that matters. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm really excited th- for it, man, for Ella. Let me, uh, I think Jordan will probably turn this into a YouTube breakout for the, uh, th- to promote the uh, private podcast. So real quick, let me sort of summarize. Let me summarize why my wife, my daughter, and I are moving out of Los Angeles. We decided to buy a house outside of L.A., for YouTube, I'm not going to talk about where it is, but uh, we'll talk about it on the private podcast. But it's in a small community, about 8,000 people, right? And there are several reasons why we wanted to move out of LA, not to flee Los Angeles, because I really enjoy Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the only big city where I'm like, I feel drawn to it. Mm. And as an introvert, I actually feel like I've thrived for the last five years in Los Angeles. But throughout the pandemic, we started looking and we decided it was time to leave for several reasons. One is we couldn't afford to buy a house in Los Angeles between the down payment. And I don't want to do a mortgage. It's beyond 15 years. I can pay off in 15 years. Mm -hmm. And what we learned is even where our studio is here, there are houses that are teardown houses that are $2.7 million. And we learned that the average home in all of LA County which we're moving out of LA County, but the average home in all of LA County is $700,000. But that includes places that are less desirable to live. And so the house that we bought outside of LA County, it's in a small town, 
8,000 people. It feels like a community. And we spent time in the community for, for the course of almost a year, learning the community, the local people. In fact, we made bids on several houses. And we learned a lot about the housing market right now. And we made bids over asking price. Mm. And people came in with all cash offers. And we just couldn't afford even some of the other houses that we wanted. Eventually, we found a really nice house. It was three bedroom, two bath with a detached garage that we've turned into a studio space. And what we've learned throughout this process is that we want to be embedded in a local community that is caring, kind, not overwhelming. But there were also some things that we wanted to avoid that do take place in a big city. So Mm. there are a few things like EMF small, electro small, right? There's so many cell towers. There's a website that we went to where you could check how many cell towers are near where you live. Mm. And my apartment that was in West Hollywood, there was like a thousand towers within a three mile radius. And you still can't get good good coverage there. Isn't that sad? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And where our new house is, there was one tower within like a three mile radius. Wow. And we don't get great coverage there. And also, we've decided not to have home internet, not to have a TV at home. And so, and I don't keep my phone all around the house. A, it's a paperweight most of the places in the house, but we have the entryway rule as well. So as soon as we walk in, we just set the phone in in this one area. So I'm sort of devoid of technology in the home and all this sort of electro smog, but also all the technological distractions, the digital clutter that has infiltrated all of our lives. And so I have to intentionally go somewhere if I want to work, if I need to be on the internet. Or, well, the other reason that I wanted to move to a smaller community is to shop locally. We've been talking about that during this private episode here. But the importance of of shopping locally versus shopping online, it's not that we're allergic to shopping online, Mm -hmm. but shopping locally means I get to support the local community, the local people, the local passions, the local businesses who tend to be far more passionate about their product or service than a major multinational corporation like Walmart or Amazon. I can default to those things if uh, if I can't find what I need locally. I'll give you one example, right? I went to our local hardware store recently. I needed a T10 light bulb, which is a very specific kind of light bulb. They didn't have it at the local hardware store. And I'm like, okay, can you order it? And he was like, oh, actually, no, it turns out we can't even order it. And so I looked a few other places, couldn't find it. Went on to Amazon, was able to find it. In fact, it was helpful because there were several options that were bad options with poor reviews. But then I found one with some pretty solid reviews and made a choice based on that. I felt good about it because I was shopping intentionally. But if I'm buying food, I can go to a local butcher, a local grocery store, a local restaurant. If I'm buying honey, there's a local, my local honey dealer, I call him. (laughs) And there's several local bookstores and Mm. there is a local community. And also, we wanted to be closer to nature. And so across the street from where we live, it's not our yard, but there's this giant uh, wilderness area that is public, uh, open to the public. So many, many acres of trails and access to nature. So not having to own nature, but having it available to us was something that was really important to us. Being close to mountains, a lot of mountains there where we lived, and but it's also close enough to the beach that within 15, 20 minutes, we can get to the beach if we want to. And... We still have access to the big city. We can come down to Los Angeles whenever we want. I'm here in Los Angeles right now, and I can still make it at home tonight for dinner. So yes, we decided to 
leave Los Angeles, not because we were running from Los Angeles, but we had something else to run toward, a place that we wanted to make what we think is our forever home, Mm. the place where we want to live for the rest of our lives. A very Mm. simple home. It's not oversized. I will say one room does have a, one bedroom has a walk-in closet, (laughs) which was like the only downside for me. The hell am I going to do with all this closet space? Sounds like a fourth bedroom to me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Technically, if you could fit a bed in it, it's a bedroom. That's right. Man, I'm 40 years old. This is the first time, like, uh, I guess it started in 2020 that the norm was to bid over the asking price on uh, buying a new home. That That's, I mean, I don't know if that's like, is that the new norm now? Like, is that going to be normal forever? I don't know. But yeah, the housing market is, uh, yeah, is insane. But you guys found one you got to make. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. And, and I, I think you're right. This is the new norm for now. Mm. And in the future, there will be a new norm. Yeah. And then, point. yeah, maybe that's a nickname for New Sean, abnormal Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we're still uh, we're still trying to vote really? on that. Yeah, but yeah, we we bid on two houses before we got this one. Got them went through the whole process, and and people swooped in and and took those houses before us. But it's the Chinese farmer parable, right? Because I'm really glad they did because we found the home that we would like to spend the rest of our lives in. Yeah, it's very simple, and yet it's just right for us and our neighbors. Yeah. I got. Biggest selling point of the house was not the house. It was the neighborhood and the neighbors. And the neighborhood, a lot of houses that are sort of run down and not in the best shape, but the neighbors are amazing. It's a very blue collar, sort of up and coming neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But we got to meet a lot of the neighbors and they're some of the most friendly people that I've ever met. And so I think that is so much more important than the average home price in Mm -hmm. the neighborhood. Yeah. The question is, who are my neighbors? And to whom will I be a neighbor? I think we have to consider that as well. Yeah. Let's talk about, oh man, Ryan. I was yeah. on a website on Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Remember back in our corporate days, we used to have these uh, doorbuster sales, like on Black yes. Friday and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. as of recording this, we're recording this the day after Memorial Day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I uh, yesterday had to go to, I know it's really random, I had to go to a drum shop to buy a bongo for this this man, which is a, a long story in itself. But um I was tasked to do this to buy this present for uh for this for this man in, in like this men's division group that I'm in or whatever, which I know it sounds very like cavemanish, but it's really just it's like men who get to have uh, you know, open space to act like women pretty much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Anyway, um so uh, I feel like someone's going to rip me on the gender stuff. I it, it's yeah, it's it's not as crazy as it sounds. Long story short, there's all these Memorial Day sales going on. Uh-huh. And because I really would like to get another guitar, but like I don't play my current guitar enough to kind of justify it. But man, I had to like really talk myself out of buying a uh, guitar that was on sale because of Memorial Day that they, they do a really good job of making it like uh, of tempting you yeah. just because it's Memorial Day here. Here's 30% off. Oh, man, I'd be stupid not to buy it. Yes. Yeah. And they get you to spend a whole lot more money because they take a little bit of money off Mm -hmm. and you end up parting with far more of your money. I saved a bunch of money by spending a bunch of money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a website and they had a site buster sale. Mm. And I don't even remember what it was for exactly. 
But yeah. it turned me off so much that I waited to buy the item till it went off sale. Mm. And then I also realized, well, that's stupid too. Because, um, and so I went back and actually got the thing while mm. the sale was still going on. Yeah. But I don't want to be propelled forward by someone else's demand of my money. Right. Act now. Supplies are limited. And they, it'll get the best of us. It'll get the minimalist. They, as you just elucidated. Yeah. They... I was tempted, man. You get tempted because it develops that scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And they inject scarcity into all of our transactions. And yeah. you need this. You'll be more complete. And by the way, if you don't act now, the price is going up. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah. It's why like with my writing class, How to Write Better, I don't... Okay, if you act now, then you'll get $100 off or whatever. Mm. It's like, no, it doesn't go on sale. We don't put it on sale. There's no site buster sale. <laughs> But the implications of uh, of that are what? Like, oh, you're going, we're going to get so busy, it's going to crash the site, so you better hurry up now yeah. and buy the thing. Yeah. I thought it was so absurd. It is absurd, man. And I mean, it's a, it's a very effective tactic, especially like with you, you were considering buying, and I don't know what it was that you were buying, but you were considering buying an item. And then if you're already on the fence and you see it's on sale, like that's a, usually enough to push someone over on one side of the fence to go ahead and buy it. Yeah. Just remember, everything's 100% off if you don't buy it. Amen. Ryan, I've got a list here of 15 minimalist home goods that add value to my life. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I'm wondering if they add value to your life. And if you're watching this on the live stream, patrons, let us know if uh, you think these are minimalist items or maybe I, maybe I have too much. Now, here's the caveat. I own more than 15 things. At least 19 things. But only 15 of them add value to your life. <laughs> These are 15 things that certainly add value to my life. I wrote down here, I think people are going to be surprised by number five and number 15. Number five and 15 will shock you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, they shocked me as I was writing them down. I want to be clear, though. There's no sponsorship here. We don't do any ads on our YouTube channel. We do, don't do any ads on our podcast. These are not recommendations either. I'm not saying that you should own these. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, I don't own much. And that's because fewer things really helps me stay calm. My physical space is a reflection of my internal space. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a calm exterior, it helps calm my interior. So when I own something as a minimalist, it must add value to my life. I'm constantly asking that question, does this add value to my life? Mm. And the truth is that something that adds value to my life today may not add value to my life tomorrow. And if that's the case, then I'm always willing to let it go. Mm. I will say this, all 15 of these things, they enhance my life, but none of them make me complete, Ryan. I'm prepared to walk away from any of these things at any time if they ever stop adding value. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about a story in a moment. I'm prepared to walk away from all of my furniture. Mm. I'll talk about that here shortly, Ryan, because yeah. this curveball was thrown at me recently. Mm. I want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm flattered by it, but also a little freaked out by it. Okay. We'll get to that in a moment. I'll say some of these items are essential. In our minimalist rule book, Ryan, theminimalists.com slash rule book, we have these uh, 16 rules for living with less. One of them is called the no junk rule. Mm -hmm. Everything you own fits in one of three piles. It's either essential, it's non-essential but Mm value-adding, or it's junk. Mm. Those are the non-essentials that don't add any value. They simply get in the way. I don't own any junk. Okay? And I make sure of it that if something does become junk, then I get rid of it. 
another rule, the 90-90 rule. Have I used this in the last 90 days? If not, am I going to use it in the next 90 days? If not, it's probably junk and I'm going to let it go. Mm-hmm. And so all of these items are either essential or non-essential. And the non-essentials still add value to my life. I would say two of them are definitely essential. Number four and number 11 on this list are essentials for me. But even essential is perspectival. Something that is essential to me may not be essential to you mm-hmm. and vice versa. But all of these add value to my life. Jordan, as we're going through this on the video, if you could put sort of over my left shoulder here, I put a link of each one, a picture of each of these items in here. We'll put a picture on the video version so you can see each of these items that I own. Ryan, I want to see how many of these add value to your life. Or maybe how many of these things do you own? Number one is my Sleep Master Sleep Mask. (laughs) That one is almost essential for me. Yeah, that's a good one. I travel with it. I see both Sean's nodding their heads right now. Yeah. And uh, the sleep... I was going to say, Josh... This is podcast, Sean, here. Yeah, I am one that, it, prior to you and I talking about it, yeah. I always thought that was a frou-frou thing. Like, the like same. Mass. I yeah. thought, oh, that's, that's, what, that's what women do to keep their delicate features. Yes. And then... That's so funny. After you and I talked about it, I tried it. After I bought mine, that's the best sleep I've ever had in my life when I wear that thing. What? Yeah. It's yeah. significantly well, different if I don't wear it. Malabama, do you use a sleep mask? Hell no. Oh. This is, I toss and turn a lot. They don't stay on my face, so well, I this gave one up. Will. Yeah, and, and it so, does. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'll say about the the sleep mask or sleep master sleep mask is as soon as I started using, it, I started traveling with. It, I use it every night. Mm-hmm. Bex's sleep improved. In fact, most of not most, several of the things on this list are sleep related. Mm. I see uh, other Sean here. I have three of those sleep master sleep. You masks. do not. One lives under my pillow. One in my carry on bag and then one in my backpack wow. just in case Man. i end up sleeping just in <laughs> case the three most dangerous words you know i've actually this is going to sound even more maximalist but like i've considered getting like more than three of them because what i have i stopped wearing mine because i get styes in my eye mm-hmm. and it's because of the sleep mask like I, that's what i have narrowed it down to So I can wear it one or two nights in a row. But after that second night, that third night, like it's just it's dirty enough to wear it. So I was thinking about getting a few of them. So, you know, like just like, you know, with underwear. Underwear. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you know, you've got to have a few pair because you can't always have one pair of underwear clean. Um, anyway, so yeah, so, so three, that's not bad at all. All right, guys, we can't, we can't keep interjecting. I'm going to get through this whole list here. (laughs) Um, I, I will say that, uh, the sleep mask is, essential for sleeping for me. It helps my sleep significantly. We'll put a link to all of these items in the show notes if you want to check them out on the private podcast. Number two, Jordan, we'll put a picture here of the earpiece earplugs. Are these the same earplugs that you use? No, man, I would be interested to see. They're great. The ones that you're using. Earpiece, P-E-A-C-E, like, ah, peace. Yeah. But they're earpiece earplugs. And uh, as soon as Beck started using them, she recognized like, and pe- people like drummers and stuff use these. There's varying mm. degrees of sensitivities. You can block out virtually all of the hearing. Podcast, oh, Sean, wow. I think you might use those at this point now, or maybe your wife. Yeah, after uh, you, my wife especially, like I tend to snore a lot <laughs> and it drives her insane. So between the Sleep Master Sleep Mask, which she uses now as well, uh-huh. and uses those, mm. yeah, I don't bother her at all. Mm. I have no affiliation to either of these companies, by yeah. the way. 
And again, they may not add value to your life. Here's an item that my wife owns that I benefit from. It is the Marpak Dome Classic original white noise machine. So <laughs> it's right. sleeping at night, she turns on this white noise machine. Yeah. It has this little fan in it, basically. And it it it's the best white noise machines from all the review, reviews I've seen. And she uses that every night. And it just creates this calm, white noise environment yeah. that sort of helps promote sleep. Yeah. Number four on the list, I have a sort of cheap mattress. It's a extra firm mattress because mm. I had a bad back for a long time. And so I found this uh, beauty rest mattress, which if you're watching the video, it's right here somewhere, Jordan. Um, and that, that mattress, what I learned from it, I bought it. I just checked the price on it recently. I think it's 699 bucks. When I bought it back in Montana, it was $400. Mm. And that mattress has been amazing for me. But I know for other people, it would be terrible. It'd be way too far. Other people lay on and they're like, what is this rock that I'm <laughs> laying on? But for me, it really helped with my back pain before wow. I found Agoscu therapy and really fixed my, my back problems. Number six, Ryan. Oh, by, by the way, I got one more bonus sleep item at the very end. This isn't part of my 15. I got an extra bonus sleep item, which is my favorite sleep item out of all of them. So I'll talk about that at the end. But number six, perfect pull-up bar. Yeah. It's like 30, 40 bucks, but mm -hmm. it is the best 30 bucks I've ever spent. Is that the one that drills into the door frame? It does drill into the door yeah. frame. And so every time... It's a good one. I put it right over my, my uh, bathroom. Every time I go to the bathroom, I just bust out 10 pull-ups really quickly. Yeah. And I go to the bathroom a lot. So every day is like 70, 80 pull-ups. You and Mariah both. <laughs> <laughs> she has 80 pull-ups a day? At least. The... <laughs> <laughs> pull-up bar because it's these simple habits. And before, I used to need some sort of amazing trigger to, in order to do pull-ups. Mm -hmm. You have to go to the gym mm -hmm. and lace up your shoes and you have to have the right workout shorts on. And mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't matter. I can be butt naked and just walk right in the bathroom and I'm doing pull-ups. Thankfully, no one's around seeing me doing naked pull-ups. <laughs> Number seven. Only your OnlyFans. <laughs> the, your OnlyFan members get to see that. Oh, yeah, we should film that. Uh, number seven. <laughs> <laughs> number seven is a uh, plain white dining table from Herman Miller. Mm. A lot of our studio furniture is from Herman Miller. They make really solid furniture that lasts a long time, and it's relatively inexpensive. Mm. This one was a few hundred dollars, and I think it'll probably last me the rest of my life, as opposed to buying something from Ikea that will break down uh, yeah. after three or five years. So. It costs more up front, but probably costs way less in the long run. Yeah. It's just a real simple white dining table from yeah. Herman Miller. And that adds immense value to my life because I'm sitting at that table every single day eating meals. But also, I prefer often to write at the dining table. Mm. If I'm writing something creative, I don't know why that is. If I'm getting regular work done, I can go to office or whatever. But when I'm doing creative writing, I think because for many years, that's where I started doing it. I associate the dining table with creative writing. Mm. And so having a nice table that isn't from Ikea or somewhere cheap really worked well for me. Yeah. Oh, you know, I mentioned, I missed number, uh, number four, number five here. We'll just put it back here. I have a cheap but minimalist bed frame from Amazon. Mm. And so I do have a thing from Amazon. I generally don't buy things from Amazon if I can buy them locally first, mm -hmm. but I bought a relatively inexpensive Bed frame. bed frame. Yeah. Cool. 
It's just a, a simple slatted bed frame. It was like 110 bucks from Amazon. Mariah and I have the, uh, it's the adjustable. Oh, yeah. Bed frames. Those are. Tempur-Pedic. I am so old, man. Like, it, we are old because we talk a lot about how to get good sleep. And I remember, you know, when I was a teenager, I got good sleep. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I used to sleep on your floor all the time. Yes. Uh, in the cabin in, in Lebanon. And now... Like every time I go camping, I always swear I'm like, I'm never going to go camping again because I wake up with such bad back pain. But that adjustable frame uh, and then, you know, add the mattress to that. Like it really helps me get some really awesome sleep and uh, very minimal, minimal back pain. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's and (laughs) this is how I know I'm old too. Mariah and I, we have uh, it's two twin beds that go together. Mm-hmm. So technically, we sleep in separate beds. <laughs> we just push them together. <laughs> You're like a 50s couple on TV. <sighs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. And so what's nice about this, and this was the one of the ones, uh, this was number five. I said, I think this would shock some folks because mm-hmm. I'm shocked that I would even buy a bed frame from Amazon. Mm-hmm. But I had someone recommend this one to me. And they're like, it's great. You've got to check it out. And and then I stayed at Airbnb and they had the same exact one. Mm. And I slept in the bed and I'm like, oh, yeah, this works really well. And not only does it look nice, but it's really simple. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have an inexpensive bed frame that works well for us. Mm. And I know I didn't buy it locally, although I buy most things locally. It's the one thing on this list that I bought from Amazon. Mm. Oh, no, there are two things. I think the perfect pull up. I either bought straight from the company or from Amazon. Yeah. Anyway, uh, number eight. Probably Wait, the, what was number five? The bed, the bed frame. frame was number five. Oh, yeah. okay. We did six and seven already. I'd backtrack to number five. Number gotcha. eight is probably the most expensive thing that I own in my house is hmm. my couch. Hmm. And it's from Bow Concept. And it's called the Carmo couch. It's in beige. I'll put a picture of it right here for Jordan. And um, what I'll say is this couch that I bought is... I realized, Ryan, when we were on tour in 2014, we didn't own a couch when you and I lived together. Right. At all. Right. And as we were touring, we stayed at a lot of Airbnbs and I realized, oh, I miss having a couch Mm. and a living room in which to congregate with friends and family when we are meeting. Mm -hmm. And it was the one thing that I missed. And I recognized we're on tour. I'm getting value from this. I don't want to deprive myself of it. Mm. And so buying the couch that I want for the rest of my life. Yeah took a lot of figuring out. I have a couch that's like, it wasn't that much. Like it was, uh, I don't know, it was 900 bucks or something. Um, but because of our cat, like I refused to spend any more money on a couch. God love Mac, love him so much. But man, he loves to claw at the couch. Like oh, we have to put a, no. we have to put like a cover over it. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's a purchase that uh, I won't be making, you know, for at least five years. <laughs> But I do admire a good couch. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy, it's a rather firm couch. I enjoy sitting on it. I enjoy spending time with my wife on the couch. I enjoy reading on it. It's multi-function. Mm-hmm. I just like being on that couch. It really does add value to me and to our space. Mm. Number eight on the list is, oh, this is number nine, actually. The bookcases. I have the, people always ask about my bookcases because they've seen the home tour or whatever. It's called the Tall Story Bookcase. Mm. It's from Design Within Reach. They're relatively inexpensive, but they stack 40 to 60 books on them. And they kind of look like a piece of art because yeah. the, the books vary in color and it adds some variety to the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 
10, Ryan, I have two paintings from Beulah. Mm. Beulah helped design this studio space that we're in, mm. but she also did two paintings for my daughter, Ella. Mm. And so in her bedroom, she has these two pieces of artwork from Beulah that are just beautiful. When we were moving, she was, Ella asked, I don't want to keep all my toys, but can I, can I please keep these paintings from Beulah? <laughs> I'm like, Ella, we're not going to make you get rid of anything. Oh. Except all your toys. That's right. <laughs> You're nine now. Grow up already. That's cool. She's that young and can appreciate art. That's awesome. Absolutely. Number 11 on the list. To me, this is truly essential for me. Mm. It is the Brio Prism Reverse Osmosis Tankless Water Filtration System. It's an under-the-counter filtration system mm -hmm. for drinking water. Yeah. If you go to ewg.org slash tap water, let's put yeah. a link to that in the show notes, you can see all of the horrible toxins that are in your drinking water. I don't know if I'm grateful for you introducing me to this website or not, because it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It is terrifying. And as soon as you figure that out, you'll find ways to filter your water. Now, Ryan, you use a Berkey filter. Yeah. And... The reason I use reverse osmosis is Berkey doesn't get out enough of the things for me, mm. uh, for my preference. Mm. And reverse osmosis is also more aesthetically pleasing. You have to have someone come out to actually install it. Although you can do a countertop one as well. Hmm. So there's a countertop uh, option. Although in my last apartment, I had a plumber come out and install it under the, the sink there as well. Because I wanted access to clean drinking water mm. every time I wanted water. Mm. And I didn't want to just drink straight from the tap. And that was the most cost effective. That way you're not buying these giant five gallon, uh, like we have them at the studio here because we don't have a, a water source here in the studio. Mm. But I didn't want at home to constantly buy in these five gallon glass bottles. Mm -hmm. I wanted to filter out the toxins from the drinking water. Mm. So to me, that of everything on this list, that is the, that and my mattress, the two most essential things in my home. Yeah. Number 12 and 13 go together. Uh, we finally upgraded, Ryan, after our kettle died to the fellow kettle. Congratulations. And thank you. I'm Mine has not died yet. <laughs> <laughs> I finally feel complete. Mm, right. Uh, no, my kitchen, uh, kidding, obviously, but my kitchen has nothing on the counters except a really beautiful grinder and a really beautiful kettle. Mm -hmm. Both are from the company Fellow. Again, no affiliation with them. Mm -hmm. They just look like pieces of art. Mm. And everything else we put into the cabinets, there is a storage space for everything. So we have nothing else on our counters except two very beautiful appliances. Number 14 on the list is the iAdapt HEPA UV Air Purifier. <laughs> now, this served an even greater purpose in Los Angeles we have one that's right behind you. You can't see it on camera, mm -hmm. but uh, we have one in the studio. We have one in the writer's room downstairs. I have two of these at home to filter out any of the toxins that we breathe in. I could mm -hmm. certainly make a case for this being essential in our tox toxin-ridden environment, yeah. especially if we're living in a big city. The, the pollutants that enter our homes, but also just the air in our homes that is constantly being cycled. If we're not leaving our windows open, it can be toxic. Finally, Ryan, number 15. This is the one you were all waiting for. It's the Elchem Professional Salon, Salon Ceramic Hair Dryer. <laughs> I have a salon grade. I mean, clearly, if you're watching the video version, yeah. <laughs> a salon grade hair dryer. Oh, I know what you're funny. thinking. That's not very minimalist of you. And I would agree. The more minimalist route would be to look like Jordan or mm -hmm. new Sean over mm -hmm. here. But 
I just don't have the head for it. I shaved my head once. I saw a picture of the back of my head. It looked like a picture of the moon. (laughs) Hey, the moon's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's funny, man. Yeah, I I have a hairdryer. I hardly ever use it, though. I I use it uh, when I'm in a pinch and I got to like, dry my hair real quickly usually i just let it air dry but yeah i've got like the the one that actually you inter- the one you used to have the one you introduced me to with the retractable cord and it folds and yeah, the travel anyway. one yeah. yeah yeah finally ryan i got a bonus item for you what's that the bonus item is we had clint ober on the podcast a month or so ago mm. i have a grounding mat for my bed i was wondering if you were gonna yeah bring those up now everyone in here sleeps on a grounding mat except for maybe New Sean, he hasn't gotten one yet. But yeah. the fine folks over at earthing.com, they never gave me mine. I paid for mine, just mm-hmm. to be clear. Yeah. But they gave everyone on our team a grounding mat to sleep on. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that everyone in here has said something uh, positive about the way that that has improved their sleep. Danny was actually talking to me this morning about, he's like, did you start having more dreams? More vivid dreams? Yeah. yeah. And the truth is that if it balances out your sleep, maybe you weren't getting enough REM sleep. That's mm. the sleep in which you dream more. Mm-hmm. Maybe you weren't getting a enough REM sleep, and this yeah. has helped balance out your sleep. It's helped my sleep immensely. My wife, it's helped her sleep significantly. Mm. It's helped her nervous system as well. Mm. And so being grounded at night on a grounding mat mm. from earthing.com, Here's a picture of one right here. Again, no affiliation. I don't get any money for telling you that. I can just tell you that it is truly essential for me now. Whenever I travel, I bring that grounding mat with me. Yeah. Those are 15 minimalist home goods that add value to my life. All right, Ryan, we have um, some questions to get to. Before we do that, Danny, do you have your phone with you? Can I use your phone real quick to record a video? So we do this thing with our VIPs on Patreon, mm. Patreon, our VIP patrons, very important patrons, we yes. call them. Yes. Thank you. We're going to do a video. Ryan, come on over here. This one is for Tori. Hey, Tori, we're recording a podcast right now. Hey, Tori. We're actually on the live stream. I don't know if you're watching the live stream, but it is your birthday in June. Ryan, it's also my birthday month. So happy birthday to me. That's why we're making this video for you, Tori. <laughs> Ryan, did you also know that June is Diarrhea Awareness Month? I did not know that. Yeah, it runs all month. <laughs> hey! I see what you did there. A dad joke in three, two. Tori, happy birthday to you. Her birthday is on June 7th. Uh, we do this little thing for all of our patrons who are VIPs as an added little bonus. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but we just want to say thank you for supporting us. We want to say happy birthday to you, and congratulations for having, uh, well... Having a supportive family. Thanks for supporting us. Heck yeah. Yeah. We love you. Love people. Use things. There's your video. See ya. Please. Thank you. All right. A little message for Tori. Uh, by the way, VIPs, if you want one of those, we'll do a little friendly message for whatever special occasion. Just send us a yeah. DM on Patreon. Do we have any questions, comments from the live stream right now? Anybody? All right, nothing right now, but if you have any questions, comments, let us know in the chat. Looks like Eli has a question for us. Joshua mentioned that he doesn't have internet at home. How is this possible in today's hyper-connected world? I don't have internet at home. That is true. Mm -hmm. I think one can live without internet altogether. Sure. It seems less practical. That seems like a more ascetic response. Yeah. But there are times throughout your day that you don't have the internet. It just happens to be my part of my day is a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Danny experienced this this weekend. Mm. 
he on Saturday had a screenless Saturday. Oh, he, uh, an accidental screenless Saturday on purpose. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, they, they set, he and Amy set their phones in a drawer and just went out to Malibu, hung out on the beach, spent time together. Yeah. And he said, I felt like I was being heard yes. for the first time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And that's she really felt cool. like she was being heard. Yeah. And well, why is that? Because we've removed that distraction. Mm-hmm. At home, there are three things that I don't have right now. We've moved into this new house. One is I don't have home internet, mm-hmm. which also means I don't have Wi-Fi. If I ever did get home internet, I would never get Wi-Fi again. Mm. And if I find that it's absolutely essential to have home internet, it would be a wired connection. Mm. And there's a reason for that. I don't want the electro smog associated with the Wi-Fi in my home. And mm-hmm. I know it disrupts my wife's sleep. It doesn't really mess with mine that much. But if you turn on a Wi-Fi router, it really screws up her sleep. Mm. And so a lot of people are very sensitive to dirty electricity, yeah, right? Yeah. And Wi-Fi is part of that. Obviously, cell towers can be part of it. Just regular electricity in your walls are a part of that as well. Yeah. It's unavoidable. But we, I want to minimize it. It's one of the reasons we moved where we moved. It has less electro smog. And I'm so, into that dirty electricity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some of the dirty electricity. <laughs> oh, it's so dirty. Shock me. <laughs> and, oh. and so... No, we don't have internet at home. We also don't have a television at home. Mm. And yes, do I enjoy some shows from time to time? Yeah, but now we have to find a way around that or mm. going to a movie theater or yeah. downloading something onto a laptop and watching it that way. Mm. It's injecting some friction into our lives. So no home internet, that's some serious friction, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't have instant access. And in fact, there's not a cell tower close by to where we live. So I don't. I get one bar of service if I'm lucky in certain parts of my house. So mm. forget about trying to tether to your phone. Yeah. Not possible where I live. But the third thing I don't have at home is a phone, a cell phone. Meaning throughout my house, I don't bring my phone with me. Mm. We have the entryway rule. So I walk into the home and I set the phone and on this counter in the entryway, and that's where it goes. That's where it charges. That's where it stays. I have access to it. I can go walk over there. I can respond to a text message, yeah. but it doesn't give people immediate 100% access to me throughout all of my waking hours. Mm. And so how do you do that? By being more deliberate with how you need to use these tools, whether it's the internet. Now I have to go somewhere, whether it's into an office, to a coffee shop, to a friend's house, to a library, whatever it might be. And I'm now focusing not on surfing the net, but deliberately using the internet to accomplish whatever I want to accomplish. Mm. But you know what it does? Not having internet, because I did this for five years once, Ryan. Mm. I didn't have home internet for five years. Mm. And it was the most productive five years of my life. Yeah. You and I published four books during that period of time. We started The Minimalist Podcast. We made our first documentary. We started going out on tours and it made me hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I didn't have access to internet. It's I removed it from the place where I felt most compelled to just surf for a little while. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll just waste a little time. Oh, just for a minute. And all of a sudden I look up and it's been an hour and 45 minutes and I've been on Instagram looking at butts and... <laughs> and, uh, and more butts. Yeah, and fast cars. And, <laughs> right. And it's like, well, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. I don't... This isn't serving the greater good for me. So I've removed that distraction. I've added some friction. This has allowed me to produce creative traction 
in my life. And the same is true with TV. The same is true with a phone. What are the things I can remove that adds a little bit of discomfort to my life Mm. that ultimately makes my life more meaningful? We have a question here from Nancy. What are the pros and cons of renting out extra space on platforms like Airbnb and Verbo? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Mariah and I eventually want to move back to Missoula. So we own just like a little condo over there and we do Airbnb with it. It's been a really awesome experience, um, especially because we have a management company that does everything for us. So it's pretty hands off. Um, there's still a few things we need to make decisions on or act on, but um, for all intents and purposes, like we hardly do anything. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, the cons. The cons are... Um, I, so there's more wear and tear on the place for sure. Like, uh, you know, when someone goes to another, uh, person's home, they tend to not take as good care of it as if it was their own. Yes. So there's certainly, um, some wear and tear on the place, but I just look at it as a little patina. Like it's doesn't really bother me. Um, and it's just more like, uh, there's a landing where you can, where everybody brings their suitcases and you can just tell this is where people put their suitcases. Um, I mean, honestly, you got to look at it at the right light to see it. So it's not that, that's not that obvious, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, the wear and tear on it. Um, you know, bed sheets, someone spilt like a cup of coffee on the bed sheets. We had to replace those. So there's like, you know, some things that we have to replace, but I'm trying to think of any like major cons. Now I don't want to jinx myself, but I've heard some nightmare Airbnb stories before. Yes. So, um, certainly that's always a possibility. But, you know, if you want to look at it that way, there's a possibility for any nightmare to happen to you, uh, not just <laughs> an Airbnb nightmare. It sounds to me like what you're saying, though, is that it has it doesn't happen frequently enough because if it happened every other tenant, mm-hmm. then you would simply abstain from doing it. It wouldn't make sense. That's to exactly it. right. Yeah. Now, the pros, I could speak a lot about the pros. Um, a, Mariah and I have a home in Missoula that we can stay at when we go and visit. Uh, and eventually, hopefully, live like full time. Not even hopefully, we will eventually get there and live full time. Um, but uh, also, um, Airbnb being it out is it pays the mortgage every month, so um, it it kind of balances out. Where yeah, we've got this mortgage payment, but the Airbnb, I mean, like the November through January is pretty um, is 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 pretty low. So like, there's not a whole lot. Spotty. Yeah, it's spotty. But when you average out the year, it it pretty much pays for the mortgage, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Especially as you're renting in Los Angeles right now. So you have the freedom to leave and you couldn't afford to buy a home in Los Angeles right now. Mm -hmm. But now what you're doing is you own a home that Mm -hmm. you would like to be your primary residence. You're renting it out. Now, someone like me, I simply couldn't rent out a home to anyone because I'm just so OCD. Yeah. That would be the big con for me is like mm-hmm. if anyone moves a, a spoon into the wrong location. Yeah. And I mean wrong location <laughs> as in morally wrong. Yes. Right. Uh, then it, everything drives me crazy. You yeah. know, and that's a nice thing about, um, having this separate guest house that I will be living in primarily. Yeah. Is I have my own space and there's, I own almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I own a mattress. I own a little table and chairs mm-hmm. and a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Bandit <laughs> Coffee Co. <laughs> and I own a kettle and you know some very basic things yeah. that I prefer to own almost nothing. Yeah, I'm not an ascetic in the sense that I'm not ritually renouncing the things. Mm-hmm. 
but I am avoiding anything that doesn't add immense value to my life. Mm. And in fact, I'm trying to do without as much as I can. So I will do like sort of ascetic experiments. And if it makes me miserable, because the truth is that the kettle doesn't really bring me joy, is that uh, my experience of the kettle is joyous, right? Yeah. And for someone else, that kettle could get in the way. What if they don't drink hot beverages? Right. Why the hell would you own a kettle? Right. And so I have stayed, however, when we were on tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the tour we did in 2015, no, 2016. Mm-hmm. We were doing the documentary tour. And I stayed in several Airbnbs where it was just someone's guest bedroom. Oh, so yeah. It wasn't like a separate house. It was just a private space in someone's home. Right. Yeah. And that worked out fine for me because I don't need much where I'm going. Yeah. And it was way cheaper than buying a hotel. It was like, this one's 30 bucks a night. Yeah. This one's 25. And before that, when we first started touring, we did like couch surfing and stuff, which was essentially free for us because we didn't have any money when we were touring. Yeah. Hey, if we sell enough books tonight, we can eat tomorrow. Yeah. And so... I like staying with other people in those scenarios. But as I've gotten older, I've also learned like, you know what? I don't want to share this space with strangers. Mm. But Ryan, someone like Ryan actually prefers to share spaces with strangers. He gets to meet new people that way. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but I do enjoy meeting new people. Right. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. The, yeah. The problem with the Airbnbs, though, is like you never know uh, what host you're going to get. Right. And sometimes, you know, you want to go to bed at like 10 or 11 and they're up till two in the morning. And it's yeah. a fair point. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, uh, one of the cons is that we had to furnish this Airbnb. So when we move back to Missoula, it's we're going to have duplicates of things. So it's going to take some time to like sell some things or donate some things or whatever. Uh, the one thing about our condo is it's um, it's near the railroad tracks. Yeah, and like it's if, loud, it is, man. So we basically because I was worried about this with Airbnb guests. I was like, man, like that the railroad is going to make noise, and that's going to be one of the downfalls. So we called it the rail the railroad getaway. Uh, so it sets it up with the expectation of hey, you're right next to some train tracks, and uh, luckily no one has left us a negative review. On the um yeah on on any of the VRBO or Airbnb reviews uh, because we've set them up with the expectation of hey look there's going to be some railroad noise I find it charming I mean it's like I don't know Missoula is just a charming town in general and uh, trains seems like a very old way of traveling and um yeah so when I hear it I kind of get like this uh, I don't know like this warm feeling um, the only time it bugs me is when it's like you know five o'clock in the morning and I'm yeah. trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that often early. They usually do a good job of keeping the noise at, you know, awake hours. But sometimes, sometimes I guess they can't help it. You reminded me of, I was looking at a condo. This is 12 years ago in Dayton. And it was right across the street from the rail, the the elevated railway. And I asked the guy who was building it out. I'm like, what are you going to do about that? He's like, oh, I'm going to charge more for this unit because it has a view of the railway. And I'm oh, like, wow. oh, like... To me, what I saw is a giant downside. Yeah. Some people see as an upside. Oh, how romantic. The Americana of yeah. the trains coming yeah. through. I remember in Missoula, uh, when Bex lived real close to the train tracks, it was a nightmare for her because mm. she has, like, she's real sensitive. Mm. Uh, the disorder is called SPD, sensory processing disorder. Mm. And so she's super sensitive to sounds specifically. She can yep. hear things a lot of people can't. Mm. In fact, the guy we work with uh, from LA Sound Panels, 
who outfitted this whole studio with sound panels, he builds quiet rooms for people. That's one of the main jobs they do. You know how they do that? How do you actually sound isolate a room? You take a room like this mm-hmm. and then you build a room within the room. Oh, wow. And and then you isolate that room within a room. And, and so you can't hear any of the vibrations or anything from from outside or very little because he has some people they're like hey can you can you hear that what is that sound someone answer that phone it's literally that like hey, yeah. i can hear my phone vibrating in the other room and, and he's like and they're like can you make sure that's canceled he's like no no one else can hear it so there's no i can't guarantee you anything right if you're that sensitive now bex isn't that sensitive mm-hmm. but she's super sensitive sensitive to something like trains yeah and so knowing that about yourself mm-hmm. helps you avoid staying at the railroad Airbnb. The railway getaway. <laughs> <laughs> so many people put getaway in their Airbnb. <laughs> you should be fined for that. No, you know, it was, uh, it's funny because when um, the management company was putting up the uh, the listings on these rental sites, um, yeah, they were like, you got to have a name for it. And I was like, all right, here you go. Let's cheese it up. If I'm going to cheese it up, I'm going to do it right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I dig it. I, um, your story reminded me of this. You talk about having to furnish the place and Bex and I sort of merging things together. So we had apartment in Montana. We had mm-hmm. where she lived primarily. And then we had an apartment in West Hollywood where I mm-hmm. lived primarily. So we did have duplicates of things. Yeah. And so as, when I, as soon as I gave my notice to our landlord in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. he was like, all right, can I come by and take a look at the place? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I get neurotic. I'm like, uh oh, right. I wasn't there at the time. I'm like, oh, did I? Yeah, I um, you know, I forgot to um. You like the spoons in the right place? Yeah, that's what it, I'm thinking. Like, yeah. I forgot to put away the dishes that are clean in the dish rack. Yeah, right. And they just neurosing over it. And so he shows up when I'm not there, and he mm-hmm. checks out the place, and he calls me that night, and he goes, "I just want to say that I've rented to hundreds of people. Yeah, I've never seen anyone furnish a home as beautifully as you. Yeah, who does your interior design?" And I'm like. JFM. Yeah, I'm like, I do. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, what would it cost me if I just wanted to buy all your furniture? Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I I don't know. Do it. Just yeah. let it all go, man. And, and so I uh, I put together a list for him and I said, hey, I'm a minimalist. I'm willing to walk away from all of it. Mm-hmm. Here's the price if you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And it's significantly less than the retail price because sure. that furniture depreciates. Yeah. But a lot of it, I am not going to use in the new home as we're right. merging. Yeah. Like I said, I need next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so this is could be a really convenient way for me to let go. Yeah. But also it was a psychological exper- experiment in a way. Mm. How am I really willing to let go of some of my favorite things? Mm. I've got that really nice Ames chair, which mm. is beat up and, and I've had it for years now. And, and uh, to replace it would cost way more because inflation... That's the one thing yeah. I learned. I I, I uh, offered my other couch to you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, Ryan, here's how much it costs today, which is twice as much what I paid for it. Mm-hmm. In whatever it was, six years, seven years, the price has gone up. It's doubled. Yeah. Because of inflation. Right. But also realizing the dollar amount, that's a sunk cost. Whatever I spent on those items isn't what they're worth to me anymore. Right. If I'm not going to use them, or God forbid, if I'm going to have to store them, mm. I'm definitely not going to store them. Yeah. And so I have to be willing to let go of them. And that means mm. selling them, donating, or recycling. Most of them, 
I can sell fairly easily on Facebook Marketplace or mm-hmm. Craigslist. But if someone wants to come in and buy all of them from me, what a great compliment, first off. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't expect, I wasn't trying to sell him the furniture. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I think I can get so much more rent for this place if you just leave all this furniture behind. Definitely, yeah. And I never thought of myself as an interior designer before. Mm-hmm. I just always thought of, I want to set up a space that feels calm and nourishing, psychologically nourishing to me and my family. Yeah. And so I'm practicing. I've sent him a number. I said, hey, you can have everything, including the waste baskets in the, the bathroom and the tissue cover boxes and mm-hmm. the beds and everything. I'm willing to walk away from all of it. Mm. For this price. Mm -hmm. We'll see what he says. Cool. We have a surprise question here from Joshua. What are the pros and cons of full-time RVing, tiny houses, condos, and other non-traditional living options? Well, one of the things to think about is we talked about how home buying isn't an investment for the house you're really living in. Now, it technically is an investment, but you can't do anything with, as it appreciates. I mean, you could take money out of the bank, but you're taking out a loan essentially, right? Yeah. So if you buy a $100,000 house and it's eventually worth $200,000, mm-hmm. which is what I did in Dayton. Mm-hmm. That's how I got the down payment for the house we bought here mm-hmm. was I sold that house, the rental property I had in Dayton yeah. and used that money. But it, so that was an investment, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the primary house I lived in because if I was still living there, then what would happen? I couldn't use that money for something else. I have to right. keep living in the house, right? Yeah. So I don't look at it as an investment. However, you can buy houses outright and use them as rental properties. Mm-hmm. And that can be an investment. Mm. Now, personally, I wouldn't want more than half of my money in rental properties, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. I, I want at least half of my money to be in index funds, mm-hmm. whether that's $10 or $10,000 or sure. $10 million, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. In fact, at the million dollar mark or beyond, it's even greater. You don't want, if you had $20 million in the bank, you wouldn't want to put $10 million into your house, right? right, right. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And Dave Ramsey would, would uh, wag his finger at you for that. Understandably. Mm-hmm. So while your primary home is not an investment, I would especially say that an RV or a tiny home is not an investment. Yeah. Uh, It can be a place in which you live and it can add value to your life. An RV would add no value to my life, but it might add value to Ryan's life. And so how much am I going to use it is the question. Yeah. And is this the best use of that money? Because a tiny home you're building for yourself, they don't have the same sort of resale value. Mm -hmm. And there are several reasons for that. You can't take out a 30-year mortgage, so you limit your buying pool significantly if you go to resell it. But also, a tiny home tends to be tailored to your specific needs, Mm -hmm. whereas a regular home tends to be more generic in general. It's three-bedroom, two-bath. It has a dining area. It has a kitchen, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have some of those elements in a tiny home or even in an RV but they don't appreciate the same way that mm-hmm. a traditional home does. But also the buying market for those things, much smaller than a traditional home. Yeah, I mean, typically the, the pros uh, from what I see is people, they, buy a t- they build a tiny house, buy a tiny house or an RV uh, because of financial reasons. Like, yes, it's going to cost way less. Like my cousin, he built, <laughs> he bought a trailer, like just a frame, and then like parked it on a piece of land. 
And then like through YouTube, just figured out how to do framing and electrical work and built himself a tiny home. There was no blueprint whatsoever. He was just kind of winging it as he went along. And it's gorgeous. And man, he built that for practically nothing. Yeah. And uh, him and his wife and his kid, he's got a second one on the way. Um, uh, th- they are living in that house just fine. I think um, they're going to have to expand a little bit as their kids grow up, obviously. But but long story short, like fi- financial, uh, for financial reasons, like he built that and he's been able to save a ton of money over the last like five or six years because he doesn't have a mortgage. He just built his little tiny home. Um, the other uh, pro to it as well is, yeah, you can pick your life up. If you're living in an RV, you can pick your life up and, and move on a dime. Also going to save you... Um, depending on your RV, right? Sometimes uh, RVs can get into the six-figure range, which blows my mind, which at that point, if you're spending six figures on an RV, then you're doing it because you're passionate about it. You're not doing it to save money. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing it because you're passionate about it. But certainly, um, yeah, spending that much on an RV is uh, it's more of a passion thing than a money-saving thing. But uh, I know Colin, right? He was traveling around in his RV for a little bit. He doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. But yeah, he was staying in these little... RV parks, getting to know America, getting mm-hmm. to know different people, uh, meeting new neighbors. It's funny because he's an he's an introvert, right? Yeah, but he he's sort of uh, an amnivert. I think they call am ambivert. A little yeah. bit of both. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's an introvert, but man, he loves to meet new people and experience new things. And he did that through his RV, which I know he didn't spend that much on. It was yeah, it was not that much. It was um, like a 1982 RV. Yeah, like Winnebago. Yeah, and uh, he went from campground to campground and able to stay at these places for relatively inexpensive and he could get up and move to a new place very easily and experience something new. So the question is, is like, what, what do you want out of it? You know, if, if you want to experience new things, you want to save a little bit of money, then maybe one of these options are good for you. But if you're someone who prefers to have the consistency of being in the same place day in and day out, then probably not a good option for you. Yeah. Also, it's different from buying a home because I would never go into debt to buy any one of these things. Sure. And so I can't afford it unless I can pay cash for it. Mm. So I, I would want to save up if it's an RV. Or, mm. And by the way, you can be in a family and still live out of an RV. We know. We know some. I remember See, J- Jordan, Jordan no more wants to butt in here. I remember yeah. say, um, <clears throat> so my, my father lives in an RV. Oh, wow. They've done it for three years now. Minimalist. And I will say that his he had a, a revelation of the whole thing because I don't really, I mean, my dad's a smart guy, but I, I would say he's honest. He, I'm not talking smack about him. He's honest about, he's kind of a lazy person. <laughs> I hope he's not a patron, Jordan. <laughs> Man, I never realized how much this is going to be like living on a ranch. Mm. Mm -hmm. He says, there are so many things that you take for granted when you live in a house, like running water Mm. and electricity. You have to figure those things out when you move. And you have to also have commercial grade driving abilities Mm because you're driving a giant, at least if you're going to get a trailer that's of any decent size, because... Her, his is like one of the longest fifth wheels they make, mm-hmm. and it still feels tiny in there. It's just like tiny, oh, wow. tiny, not like tiny house, tiny. It's like you have a couple of boxes, you're you're full up, you know. Mm. And I I helped him when he was living in um, Aspen, um, and because he didn't have running water, we had to drive to town with like six five gallon bu- barrels and just fill them up at a hose yeah. and then drive back to campground just so that I could have a shower that day. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there's there are pros. Yeah, you can get up and go everywhere, but it comes with the price of hard work. 
Yeah. yeah. And, another pro is that it is way less expensive than buying a, a, a giant home either. And so if you prefer to be in that living situation, it can be great. Yeah. And last thing I'll say is we knew a family in Australia. Remember, we, they had a, they were living out of an RV. Yeah. Four th- kids. I was thinking about them. Yeah. And those kids were the happiest kids, man. They were like, yeah, they seemed like a really happy family that got along well. Varying ages. Mm-hmm. And Beck still keeps in, in contact with them. And what's fascinating is there were six people living out of an RV and yeah. they made it work. Why? Because it worked for them. It wouldn't work for me by myself even, mm-hmm. let alone with a family of six. And so any of these things, really, if you're compelled to do it, it's one thing. But if you feel compelled by someone else, oh, I should live in an RV, mm-hmm. might make you miserable. Yeah. All right, let's do, uh, let's do one more question before we talk to podcast Sean. How about we talk to Ellie? There's an overwhelming amount of knowledge needed when it comes to home buying, like taxes, zoning, maintenance, HOAs, refinancing, insurance. Where are you supposed to learn all of this? I have at least two options, maybe three. So in terms of insurance, finding an insurance agent that you trust. Yeah. And that took several interviews for me to figure out an insurance agent that I trusted who could help out with flood insurance and homeowners insurance and then bundling that with vehicle insurance. Yeah. And, and so finding the right person who is helpful, kind, is willing to answer questions, mm-hmm. doesn't think of anything as a stupid question just because I don't know the ins and outs of insurance. So I'm going to ask you some stupid questions. They're stupid to you, but they're not stupid to me because I don't know. I, I'm showing up with ignorance. And yeah. so I need an honest person who's willing to help me out. The other person who can really help you out, and this is so critical. You learned this the hard way, Ryan. You got to have a great realtor. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've had some bad realtors. Yeah. If you don't have a great realtor, then it's going to make the experience awful. Remember when you bought the condo in Dayton, they forgot to put the the fridge in the contract? Oh, yeah. And he calls me up. He's like, hey, man, I forgot to write uh, the refrigerator in the contract. Oh, my bad. You're going to have to buy a new fridge. I'm like, no, dude, you're going to have to buy me a new fridge. Like <laughs> so he bought you the cheapest oh, old school was, fridge. Yeah, it was horrible, man. It, what a bad experience. I Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say his name here, but I'm not going to be vindictive. I have a great realtor who I'm friends with now up in Ojai. Uh, and he really just knows the city. He and his wife are amazing people, mm-hmm. uh, Dave and Kelly. And they are just, they're so knowledgeable about the area. In fact, there was one house they tried to talk us out of buying mm. when we were interested in. And what realtor is really going to do that? Because they're talking themselves out of yeah. Know, thousands of dollars. Dude, my grandmother got out of realty. She was she got a realtor's license with selling houses, but because she was so honest with people, like she was like, if I'm gonna make any money out of this, I gotta learn how to talk people into buying something and she didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. And so Ellie, a realtor is gonna help you out with HOAs, with maintenance. In fact, my realtor is connected me with a handyman, a landscaping person, mm. a plumber a crawl space repair person, a sump pump person, like all of these different people that he has access to. And it's not just like going to the phone book. These are people he works with all the time because he yeah. also builds houses. Mm. And so he knows these contractors. Mm. And so by knowing him, I also by proxy know all of these other handy people in the community who can help me keep my house the way that I want it to be. Yeah. And, uh, the other person is yourself. You're going to have to do some learning here. There's a learning curve. And so learning about 
homeowner's insurance, learning about flood insurance. What is appropriate for me? When do I need that type of insurance or hurricane insurance? Or what if I'm not even insurable where I am because of some floodplain that I'm on? And so you're going to have to figure out some of those details on your own. You can outsource some, sure, to your realtor. Uh, you can outsource some to the other members of the, the community, mm-hmm. your insurance agent, et cetera. But ultimately, there's no substitute for you knowing. You can learn through those people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the biggest purchase of your life. You're going to want to do some research. Otherwise, you can really get screwed on the back end. Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and then we're going to talk to Alabama for a second. And then uh, we'll talk to Podcast John about... about uh, He's walking out on us. <laughs> He's minimizing the minimalists. That's right. <laughs> Look who we have here with us oh, today. Oh, boy. <laughs> Everything's going sideways now, people. That, that was the best like, deer in a headlights look ever, man. <laughs> so funny story about this. I told Jordan this. Uh, you guys ever watch Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, for a while, he had that shtick where at the end of the show, he'd, be, he'd say... Apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time. <laughs> and then they finally got Matt Damon on and they start, he started to talk. And then Kim was like, I'm getting the signal. We're out of time. And <laughs> was like, what? That's awesome. So I said, that's what they're going to do to me. It's <laughs> right. going to be that. Apologize to the podcast. Sean, we ran out of time. So we're out of time. People yeah. use things. <laughs> I knew it was coming. So, um, Podcast, John, we're going to talk to you here in a second. Before we do, Malabama had a question that I figured it would be rude if I didn't get to her question. She put oh. it on the uh, the production notes here. Malabama, ask your question for us, and we'll talk about yes. this. How do you know when you're ready to buy a house, and what options are available for first-time homebuyers? Hmm. So, mm. I one of the ways that we knew we were ready to buy a house is was, A, my wife's strong desire for Hmm. owning a home, planting roots in a community. Yes. And a specific community, right? And I Mm -hmm. think this is a perfect segue into what we're going to talk to podcast Sean about is Bex found the community in which she wants to spend the rest Mm -hmm. of her life. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that, uh, with, with respect to the community that we've identified up there in Ojai. And I've realized that, oh, like there are, there's some amazing people here, but we considered other places as well. I mean, we obviously consider Los Angeles where our mm-hmm. studio is mm-hmm. in various parts of Los Angeles because Los Angeles is really like 88 different communities all sort mm-hmm. of. I remember when Sean first came here, he was looking like up in Azusa mm-hmm. and, and yeah. other places. It's mm-hmm. way out there. Yeah. So, in fact, you uh, took me down there. That's where I bought uh, my Honda, the motorcycle. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We, we drove out there together. Yep. Um, and so like you were looking at different places, Torrance was another place you were looking Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, Bex and I have spent the last five years exploring different neighborhoods. When we do the screenless Saturday thing that Danny was doing last weekend, Mm -hmm. like you just, you kind of start to learn more about the city. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways, you know, you're ready, Mallory, is you start to learn a place and you start to fall in love with the intangibles. We had a question earlier where someone asked like, is it logical for me to buy a house at this age or whatever? Mm. And the honest answer is like, yeah, you might be able to pull out a sheet of paper, get all the pros and cons Mm. and then feel miserable, even though all the pros worked out for me. On the paper, it looks great. Yeah, it's great Mm. on paper. The difference is this is two dimensional. We Mm. live in a 3D world, right? Yeah. 
Well, 4D, if you could smell Ryan right now. <laughs> <laughs> I smell is the fourth dimension. I smell great right now. I'm taking it in. My hair products smell amazing. <laughs> the pheromones. That's I find right. myself gravitating. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, Sean. Thing, We're on camera. <laughs> yeah. Save that oh, for man. later. I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, So I talked about how Mariah and I have that condo in Missoula. Like, I knew it was time to buy a home there because like, I am, I feel, I feel very very drawn to Missoula. I would not mm. buy a home for the sake of it to Airbnb out in uh, Dayton, Ohio or somewhere where I didn't plan on visiting a lot. Um, but yeah, I think I totally agree with the sentiment there, man. Like if it's, if you're being pulled towards somewhere mm. like that is, that is one sign that, Hey, maybe it's time to put some roots down. Maybe yeah. you want to drop an anchor in this, in the, in that uh, community where you, re- yeah, where you really feel that sense of community, right? The yeah. belonging. That's mm-hmm. right. And so and sometimes it takes a while to figure that out, too. Mm-hmm. And so visiting a place, you might feel pulled to several places and realizing maybe you're pulled there for a season of life. It's not a forever thing. Yeah. This happened to me in Missoula, where I really enjoyed moving mm-hmm. to Montana. Mm-hmm. Originally, when you and I moved to Montana, Ryan, we moved there for four months. Cabin, side of mountain, middle of nowhere. Yeah. A couple hours away from Missoula. Yeah. We were between, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were, we found ourselves, we were in between Butte and Missoula. <laughs> we clearly found ourselves gravitating toward Missoula. Yes. And, uh, no, no, there's a reason it looks like butt. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard several like native Montanans hey, are like, there's a you, reason it's spelled like how butt. How dare you talk about evil Knievel's yeah, hometown I know it is, that isn't way? It? Yeah. yeah. Do you know in 1890 that, um, Butte was the second largest city west of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. It was San Francisco, then Butte. Oh, wow. And then it's been a slight decline ever since. <laughs> well, once they, once they raped the land, right? Oh, I mean, man. they mined. The, it looks terrible there, too, when you go there, like yeah. some of that open mining. Yeah. Ugh. They've just, yeah. like, tore out yeah, the side of the mountain. ripped it right out. It actually is known for the most... Uh, <laughs> The most toxic hole in America. Oh, a, it's a super site, isn't it? I thought that was your mom. I thought it was <laughs> your mom. <laughs> Good thing it's for the private podcast. My stars. It is. It's a super site, isn't it? Yeah, it is like, uh, it is the most toxic pit in, uh, in America because of all the, the mining that went on and all the pollution that's down in this lake. You see like... It, yeah, you jump in there like and jump out with like three other arms growing yeah, up. Yeah, you won't have superpowers. Don't do that. Right, right, right. Exactly. We've seen Toxic Avenger. It doesn't work that way. Are you guys saying that it's a, it's a, a butte hole? It is a butte <laughs> hole. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Sean, to cut his mic, please. <laughs> There's... Uh, I have never seen people more passionate than people of butte. They don't even call it Butte, Montana. It's Butte, America. Oh, wow. Because they, yeah, no, you've never heard that? I've never heard that. Oh, yeah. Like never. people from Butte, they don't call it Butte, Montana. They're like, we're from Butte, America, because like they are so proud of of their their hometown. They got, so they got the Butte whole, pride. Is this the whole like the boiling of the frog thing? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I've never met a person from Butte that I dislike. Yeah, yeah 100%. That's, no, yeah, that's totally agree. And, yeah. uh, and so like, you know, we're we're joking about Butte, obviously, but mm. like just because Butte is sort of sandwiched between two of the most desirable places mm. in Montana, between yeah. Missoula and Bozeman, right. I gravitate more toward Bozeman. I found out later, but also with with Missoula, mm. I figured out how important weather was to me. Mm. And Missoula has some of the worst weather in the country mm. in terms of like grayness, mm. right? Worse for me. Uh, mm. Some people really like being in gray areas. That's what they call Montana gray, right? Yeah, that, that the westernmost but, part of Montana. Yeah. It's a lot like Seattle, but much colder and snowier. Mm. And uh, that just doesn't work for me. I, mm. I really value, I overvalue 
access to the sun. Yeah. And so to me, it makes sense to live somewhere where the sun is emphatic. There are other places I was drawn to, though. Mm -hmm. I was drawn to Nashville uh, in that whole area. Franklin, I really, really Mm -hmm. enjoy that area. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the people there, the the kindness, the the size of the parking spaces. <laughs> <laughs> the accessibility of the parking spaces too, right? Yeah. I mean, once you get like to LA, oh, it's a fight anytime, yeah. right? Just to find an open spot. For it's sure. so funny. The economy parking spaces in America are like the regular parking spaces over in like Europe. Oh right. my God. And the economy spaces in Europe are like made for the Smart cars or motorcycles, basically. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. There are a few other places. I mean, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, always has oh, a yeah. special mm. place in my heart. Amen. We've got Bandit mm. Coffee down there. Yeah. It's uh, where really our whole minimalist journey started. Yeah. Dayton is my favorite city in the country. Uh, I know podcast Sean will disagree with you. <laughs> there. Oh, my God. <laughs> but what I'll we'll say... take it offline. The reason that I don't feel drawn to it anymore is I've decided that I'm no longer want to be married to winter. You're done mm. with winter. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so any mm. place that has a significant winter, whether it's Dayton or Missoula or even Nashville to some extent, mm. like I realize, like, oh, I just don't want to be in submerged in winter. You for just don't want to live in it. Mm. Yeah. But you still, do you still enjoy I don't think you and I have ever talked about it. Do you still enjoy though going and spending some time and a, a little bit, like a okay. day worth, like a like a Christmas type of thing? Yes, yeah. For Christmas, let's go and just enjoy some snow and then absolutely. As bail. long as there's like places I can do winter sports, I love winter. Yeah. But like when we were on the East Coast in January, with uh, where were we? We were uh, Boston? Boston, New York City. Oh man, yeah. man, that was like um, Washington. Really helped me appreciate Los Angeles a lot. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah DC. That's right. Yeah. We don't have winter here. We have diet summer. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's summer here. I've never heard that. That's perfect. Yeah, that it's summer here summer. year round. It just there's variations of summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. And so I really appreciate the weather is the number one thing for me. Uh, there are other cities that really stand out to me. The ones I mentioned, another one that stands out, we've gone to a lot, Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, it's a great place. That one always surprises me every time you bring it up, mm-hmm. though. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, oh, man, winter there. It's just, and summer, too, which surprised me. I thought, oh, yeah. it's kind of out there on the plain. It probably won't be that humid. Mm-hmm. Nope. No, it is. No. It oh, feels yeah. like Midwest humidity. It's, yeah. it's intense. Spring summer, and fall yeah. are really amazing. Yeah, it's like, yes, <laughs> that's Fargo. actually perfect. It's one of the most intense cities in the United States, especially mm. for climate, right? Yeah. Every year, the Weather Channel like votes it the the worst weather in the country. <laughs> but I think part of that, like, when you see these nine foot snow drifts, yeah. remember when uh, Greg did his his TED, we did a TEDx talk or uh, TEDx Fargo, mm-hmm. and Greg was doing a talk at this conference we were speaking at, and he showed this picture of like nine foot snow drifts covering mm. up stop signs and everything else. But it, what it did is it like created this community of people who almost like were uniting mm. in spite of the weather. Yeah. Right? And so that weather sort of created this amazing, artistic, beautiful mm. community mm. of outstanding people that I'd never expected. We went to go speak at a conference in Fargo. I'm like, what the mm. hell is in? Oh, wow. This place is awesome. Yeah. Some yeah. of the hardiest people then. Yeah. They're amazing. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. A few mm. other cities that really stand out to me, Salt Lake City and Tucson. Yeah. So you don't like snow, but you like Salt Lake City, right? I, I mean, wouldn't live there in yeah. the winter. That's, <laughs> that's, the pro- that's Salt Lake City is probably my favorite designed city. Oh, God. It's, uh, what was the um, the podcast that you uh, introduced me to about the 99% design? Invisible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they talk about how like it's so well plotted out. Like Every block is 660 feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so the whole you, you know exactly where you are be- from the names of the street, how yeah. ru- 
how close you are relative to the temple that's in the middle of Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City. Yeah, and like there's so many lanes, like it's real wide. They made it so uh, back in the day you could turn a horse and a carriage around with one U-turn, no like, you know, five-point turns. You could do it in one U-turn. Didn't Brigham Young say so they wouldn't cuss? The drivers. Oh, the, yeah. It'd be easy <laughs> yeah. to I've never heard that, but that so would make sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's man, great. You know, for me, and I know you hate this city, Josh, but uh, <laughs> man, Portland was like, is definitely up there on my list. I, that's why I liked Missoula because it was like a, it was a much smaller Portland, I feel like. See, I don't mm. hate Portland. I hate the weather there. I mm. love the city of Portland and the walkability. Mm. The food scene there is amazing. Yeah. It's just raining all the time and gray all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not as gray as Missoula, but like it's, significant. Yeah. Dayton's pretty gray too, but if you go north yeah. of the what we call the DMZ <laughs> in, in Ohio, you go north of I-70, I-70 it gets even yeah. grayer. So like Akron, for example, mm-hmm. is a lot like Dayton, but just rainier. It's rainier than Seattle, right? Yeah. Or where New Sean is from. He's from Youngstown yeah. and it gets pretty gray in there. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to say more something? ways than one. <laughs> For those of us been to Youngstown. Just that I want to put my vote in for Bend, Oregon, if you like Portland, mm. oh, yeah. but don't want the weather. Mm. It's it's the it's central Oregon rather than the Pacific Northwest. That's right. And you got a lot of the same food and culture. Um, Microbreweries. But you've got <laughs> the same amount of sun as you do here in Southern California. Mm. Oh, wow. Mostly mild winters, unless okay. you want to go up on the mountain and snowboard. Mm. Bend, mm. I lived there for five years. Mm. Ben, the, uh, the location of the last Blockbuster video oh, rental yeah. store. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They have Still that there? on Netflix. Have you seen that, Ryan? No. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's called The Last Blockbuster. There's oh a documentary go- about it. What a like, th- there's something about Netflix rubbing it in Blockbuster's face, doing a documentary about The Last Blockbuster on, <laughs> on Netflix. Mm. Well, you we were going to do, I talked about this briefly, but you might not remember it. We mm. were originally, before the whole pandemic thing, it was totally screwed up everything, mm-hmm. but we were going to screen uh, Less Is Now at the last Blockbuster yeah. store yes. in yeah. Bend, Oregon. And then, like, of course, uh, the, the whole great. pandemic. Yeah, it would have been great just to uh, be able to... Because yeah. they were doing an Airbnb thing there for a while, right? Where I, you could rent it out and sleep there. Over, it's yeah. novelty They only now. did that wow. for two nights, though. Uh, and it, it cost something... Like, you have to charge for an Airbnb. It was a, yeah. just a marketing thing. But it cost, like, 16 cents. Wow. To sleep at the Blockbuster. To sleep at the Blockbuster, really? yeah. Oh, wow. I used to really enjoy going to Blockbuster. Dude, there's still some movie rental places that, yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to... Bex and Ella and I are trying to figure out now as we've moved into this new living environment, Mm. no internet at home, Mm -hmm. which means like I can't connect my Sonos speakers. Mm. And what do I do? And and we started like asking the question because we don't want Ella to have access to a glowing screen to listen to music. Mm, They don't make iPods anymore. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is a podcast. Mm. There's no more pods, but... They're still a cast. Right. <laughs> I don't think I realized that. They they officially stopped manufacturing the... Yeah. The I, they just stopped. No kidding. It. Yeah, two weeks oh, ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I think there are e-ink uh, tablets. There are e-ink tablets that run Android and that you can use as a full-blown tablet. Mm. Yeah, I just don't... I don't want her to have distractions on a screen. Mm. I want her to have music without the visual side of it. Yeah. Except... Yeah. And, and so we've, we've made some queries into we just wondered out loud you know what is the do we get a record player do we get her a cd player yeah get a what? dvd player to watch movies yeah. oh, i guess you don't have a tv so you yeah. wouldn't even mm. yeah be able to do that right they still have red boxes that blows my mind i know like that's still a viable business mm-hmm. yeah. Red box, yeah and so these are cities i I thought about tucson is one of my favorite cities in the country if, I, if I if i didn't live in ohio tucson would have been one of the places i really 
would have liked to live. Mm. Um, Weather-wise, it's nice. It's that monsoon season. Cost of living there is is better than most places in mm. the mountain states. Yeah. And I found the amazing community there. Every time we've gone there, we've interviewed the minimalist architect, Frank, in our first film. And mm-hmm. every time I've gone there, I've just fallen in love with the essence of the place, mm-hmm. the intangibles. And so this gets back to Mallory's question is like, quite often it's just a feeling. And mm. you can't know what that feeling is going to be until you really explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you might fall out of love with the city as well. Missoula, I fell in love with. And mm-hmm. then over time, I decided it was time to sort of graduate from Missoula. Mm-hmm. You said divorce, right? Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, I ended up divorcing Missoula. <laughs> yeah. I, sta- I stayed too long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so walking away at the appropriate time is also something that is important. Um, available for first-time home buyers is also, also something you talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really about fundamentally, how do I have... 20% down. Mm-hmm. Your credit score doesn't matter unless you have a bad credit score. Mm-hmm. You don't need, and I think this is something people misunderstand. I got to have a good credit score. No, you don't. Uh, you just, I mean, Dave Ramsey has a zero credit score. Yeah. Oh, our time must be up. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to podcast. We ran out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast. Oh, right, it's Sorry, y'all. Oh, man. <laughs> So um, having at least 20% down, being able to afford to pay off the house within 15 years, that's Mm -hmm. really how you figure out what your budget is. And also, as we talked about earlier during the minimal episode, what city you live in dictates as to whether or not it's better to buy or better to rent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you feel compelled to buy a home just because you're supposed to buy a home, that Mm -hmm. is almost always the wrong reason. Actually, it's always the wrong reason to buy a home. 100%. Mm -hmm. Can I follow up on that real quick? You mentioned a lot of these places that you really enjoyed connecting with on a deeper level. And I have experienced that. I grew up in houses that we owned, but we were there for four years and then Mm -hmm. dad got a job in another state and Mm -hmm. we moved. Mm -hmm. So we moved into a new home preparing for, okay, we're going to have to sell this in four years. So we didn't paint walls. We didn't do any kind Mm. of remodeling that we wanted. It was always to get it prepared to sell. Mm. So now I carry that into my adulthood. And every Mm. four years, I end up relocating to a new state. Mm. So how do you distinguish those connections of places that you really enjoy visiting and you really enjoy being in Mm -hmm. versus ones that you want to stay in Mm. for a long amount of time? Yeah, I don't cling Mm. to the the staying, Mm. right? Like, I recognize that, yes... We could see ourselves living in Ojai for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But I'm also perfectly willing to walk away five years from now, seven years from mm-hmm. now, 10 years from now, whatever it might be. Now, you can make your house your home regardless of whether or not you rent or buy it. And I think that's a, yeah. a common misconception. You can, I mean, this office space that we're in, even, you know, we painted the walls, we covered mm-hmm. up windows, we mm-hmm. put in carpet, mm-hmm. you know, we... We changed everything about the space, Mm -hmm. right? You can do that with your apartment. You can do it with a home. Um, But the key is understanding what do I want out of this living space? What Mm -hmm. what life am I living? Instead of trying to like, well, I guess I got to fit a life into this Mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that being prepared to walk away, I mean, that's a superpower Mm -hmm. in its own. So yeah, it's, uh, you want to, find a place and you want to feel like, yeah, I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And maybe that is the case, but being uh, prepared to walk away, like that's, that's going to help you not hold on to it so tightly for sure. Yeah. I, 
I just keep going back to Missoula. It's like, I just, mm-hmm. I, I had to let go of it, you know, like to come out here to LA. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I keep finding myself getting drawn towards it. And like, that's, I don't know, that's what I would say to you is like, what, where do you feel constantly yeah. drawn towards? And if you don't have that spot, that's okay. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have that. And it's not binary either. I right. think that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. We get one-itis, they call it. <laughs> You're familiar with this term? So it's like, oh, yeah, yes. my wife, she's the one for me. Well, no, she's uh, not. There's yeah. no such thing as the one. Yeah. And it's a really romantic view. And mm. the same is true with the city that we live in. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of cities that you can thrive in. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of other cities that it may be more difficult for you to thrive in. Mm. It's not that... um Missoula is inherently great or inherently mm. bad. Yeah. It is that Ryan is drawn to a place like that. Yeah. And I am no longer drawn to a place like that. And that is fine. But understanding that like Missoula isn't the one for him. And it's oh, a one. There you go. Yeah. A one. I <laughs> like that. It's one in which you can thrive. Yeah. Mm. It's the ideal one at the moment. Sure. Right. It's, yeah. But LA is also a one. Yeah. It's yeah. ideal at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. You're a one. Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> you were saying that reminded me of that. Remember the fly of the Concord's most beautiful woman in the room. In the room. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, podcast. It's the most beautiful Sean. city in the room. <laughs> Speaking of moving on to new cities, podcast Sean. We've known Sean. Oh, Too long, right? For a very long time. 20 years. It has been 20 years. Yeah. Right? Wow. We worked yeah. Yeah. at a telecom company together. Um, I started there in the late 90s, 99. Mm-hmm. Sean was there shortly after that, mm-hmm. Ryan shortly after that. Yeah. And so we've known each other for a really long, long time. time. Yeah. I remember when Ryan and I started The Minimalist, we walked away from that telecom company. And uh, eventually, we were, we were still in Dayton, but we moved out to Montana. Yeah. It was just me and Ryan, The Minimalist. Yeah. That was our business. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started doing tours and writing books and doing the blog. And that was really it. And we like, there's more work than what we can handle right now. We really want to bring someone on to help us out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so we kept thinking, like, we got to find someone like Sean Harding. <laughs> right. Who, who's like Sean Harding? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. What about this person? What about this person? Yeah. Oh, we've, what about, we met that one guy at the coffee shop. Is he kind of like, you know who's like Sean Harding? Yeah. Sean Harding. <laughs> <laughs> and so we brought Sean out to Missoula. In uh, 2014, he ended up moving out there in 2015. Mm-hmm. You guys really knew how to hook me, too. Oh, yeah. So right. Oh, yeah. Story about how this, oh, we took him kayaking. Yeah, oh, we took him yeah. hiking. It's like, we're going to take him to all the beautiful That's places. right. We t- I took him to my favorite breweries. Yeah. 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 The only thing that was missing was a Cuban cigar. But yeah, we didn't need it. true. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we brought him out to Missoula. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were with us for several years there. And then we decided mm-hmm. to relocate to LA. This is where people go to tell stories, as Rob Bell says. Mm-hmm. Rob Bell, yeah. And, um, you know, we were working with Netflix on the last film. And we knew that having, we wanted to have podcast guests. We would need mm-hmm. to be in a more um, fruitful city. Mm-hmm. A city uh, people actually want to visit. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's the one thing I I can't, I, I, I just can't, mm-hmm. uh, we can't get out of Missoula. Like people aren't going to come to Missoula, Montana. Just for one podcast, All right? I mean, maybe they could. Some but people would. Yeah, a, a some people would. People, right? But, but yeah. we're going to get a lot more, uh, a lot more opportunity here in Los Angeles. In Los Not Angeles, to mention, yeah. there's a whole podcasting community here in LA mm-hmm. that we've been able to plug into, and yeah, I mean, so that's a lot more people that, involved in uh, audio and video and film in LA than there are in Missoula, Montana. Although 
some of it's starting to shift. You know, they oh, yeah. they're uh, filming. I think uh, more of Yellowstone actually. Oh yeah, in Missoula. Now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Darby kind of. Uh, yeah, Darby. D- Darby kicked him out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny. Like I heard this thing where like some of the cast and crew, um, they were at a diner in Missoula. And they had said to like the waitress, they're like, you know, you all, you all like really are nice to us in Missoula. Where in Darby, like they treat them like garbage. It was because, Ruby's diner, by the way. I know exactly yeah, where it was in yeah, Missoula. Yeah, and Don like, told me. Yeah, and they're <laughs> like, and they're like, thanks for being nice. Because when we walk into Darby, they just like scowl at them and like, mm. how dare you come down here and outsiders. infiltrate our? Yeah, exactly. You outsiders. Yeah, it, it's always funny when I when I hear these things about. Um, Oh, the all of these outsiders coming in and changing mm. the place. It's like, well, you realize that you were an outsider yeah, at one point, outsider. or your parents were, or your grandparents were. Mm-hmm. Someone in your lineage mm-hmm. did not grow up in Missoula, Montana, yeah. at some point. Right. Like the whole immigrant thing. I mean, it's Absolutely. the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and it's such an absurd argument. It's like mm. this is how culture shift, and really, what people are complaining about is that changing too quickly. Change. Yeah, and uh, I, I understand the impulse to want things to stay the same. It's a very conservative mm-hmm. impulse but life changes it progresses it flows mm-hmm. and if we can't accept that man we're gonna get dragged by discontent yep mm-hmm. so podcast sean moved out here with us um four and a half years ago almost five it's years ago 20, it's january 2018 yeah, yeah. oh and, i remember and so coming out here to set up the podcast studio mm-hmm. in our old mm-hmm. studio space and then the initial plan was like hey let's see his two daughters still need to graduate mm-hmm. high school. Yep. And so let's uh, have them move here after that. And I know they, your wife and daughters visited a few times and mm-hmm. what you all decided is like, oh, this isn't our place long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And as much as I'd like to sit here and beg podcast Sean to stay in Los Angeles, I also recognize that to convince him is to unlove him. Right. And we love Sean deeply. Mm. And we're so grateful for the time that we've had here. He's yeah. still going to be working with us in all kinds of capacities. He still does the podcast notes, mm-hmm. editing the podcast. He edits the essays that we write. Mm-hmm. Uh, he edited our last book, Love People Use Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the blog he has edited. And so he'll still be working up with us in tons of operational capacities. He just won't be here in the studio every Tuesday when we're recording mm-hmm. these podcast episodes. But he's still going to be our podcast, Sean. Yes, indeed. <laughs> still podcast, Sean. <laughs> That's right. How does it feel right now? I've noticed a, a change in your demeanor. It's like, it, it's almost like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders in a way. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. So there was, I mean, I mean, you can only imagine, right? Well, you went through it. Yes. I mean, with Becca going back and forth. Um, so that was me going back and forth between here and and Missoula. And it's um, put a lot of uh, stress, I mm-hmm. mean, for sure, on the family. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, that's the longest we've ever been apart since we've been together. Ty and I will be this year together in uh, December, 23 years. Yeah. So, and she was feeling that, you know, she said there were times, I mean, she felt like a single mom because she kind of was, right? I mean, she Mm -hmm. was there uh, taking care of all that and working at the post office at the same time and, and getting pretty stressed out with that stuff. And then, um, you know, after COVID hit and things really, um, we're talking about, kind of the stressors of of change in Missoula, you know, um, uh, housing got tighter and tighter, mm-hmm. prices got higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, you know, I, I really want to, because we've been renting 
this time sure. for the flexibility because we didn't know for sure after the girls were finished mm. what was going to happen. I mean, I love Missoula. I'm a mountain person. I have this theory that they're mountain people and beach people. Okay. I've always mm. been a mountain person. Yeah. Ty's more of a beach person. Mm. Um, so, and she's, um, always had a very strong, um, nesting need. And she said, I just really want to buy property, but I don't think it's going to be here. Yeah. You know, I just don't think, uh, budget wise it's here. And I don't think opportunity wise for the girls, for our daughters, that it's going to be a Missoula. Mm-hmm. That's another downside of a lot of these zoom towns mm-hmm. where the opportunities for people who are locals tend to be service industry opportunities mm-hmm. only. And and outside of that, there aren't a whole lot of other industries or jobs that are available to young people. Yeah, that's why so many of the um, the University of Montana courses there in in Missoula. Right. That's why a lot of the graduates they don't end up staying there. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Yep. They just yeah they move out of Montana. A lot of them go to Seattle or Portland yeah. initially, at least. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was uh. And the other thing is both of our um. Uh, Di and I, our mothers are the uh, only parents still alive and they're getting on. Um, so with some medical things coming up with them, um, the decision was made that we're going to try to uh, move uh, closer. So we're looking at, I can say this now, right, Di? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were looking at uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, in particular, the Charlotte area. Great area. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, close enough to the beach, so I'm satisfying her need there, right? It's about a three, three and a half hour drive to the beach. Still close to the mountains, though. There's some areas there. Of course, the Blue Ridge Mountains are right around that area. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a there's a lot of opportunity in that area for the girls, especially just starting out in life as yeah. they are, you know, on the bottom rung, Heck working yeah. their way up. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And if we need to get back to uh, Dayton from there, you know, the drive's about eight hours. Or if we have to fly, Charlotte has a major airport. Right. It takes about an hour to get to get back if an emergency arose. Okay. Yeah. So that seems like right now, at least, that's that's what we're looking nice. at. That's your direction. And you're a big that's history. Our direction, yes. Yeah. That's our direction. And yeah. you're a big history buff. And there's so much history oh, right there. Oh, on that area? Yeah. 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 So yeah. That'll, be, that'll be cool, too. Yeah. And another experience for the... Um, for the family too. I mean, yeah. we've had um, time in in Ohio, uh, <laughs> and then uh, time you know out in the mountain states. Mm-hmm. They've spent a little time in Southern California, and now you know time on the actual East Coast. Yeah, you know, hopefully, I, I mean, yeah, a, a direct a direction, a destination, but. So, so yeah. short term, you're you're going to go back to Missoula for a mm-hmm. bit until you work out the the terms of getting out east to the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. It's a big bummer for us. I mean, we love having Sean around. Um, he has some really big shoes to fill. Yeah. We, we have new Sean here. And um, man, man, I do not envy you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't screw it up, new Sean. <laughs> Be- because podcast Sean is able to spin plates and juggle things at the same time Yeah, in a way that is... Um, Really impressive. And it's impressive in several senses. One is not only are you on time and meticulous and detail oriented, but also you're really six, right? What's that? Isn't that what it is? Is it six on the Enneagram? I oh, can't remember. Which one am I? Yeah, you're a six. Yeah. No, you wait. Said, wait, wait yeah, Jordan's, Jordan's five. a five. Oh, Jordan's yeah. a five. That's right. He's a six. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That and, must be what it is, right? Being a six. I think <laughs> so. And what I'm, what I've learned from this experience with you is that you're also really 
just really talented and you have a skill set that is it's a broad skill set. We brought you on and you had been an English teacher and you had done mm-hmm. inventory for corporations and managed operations and you know gone to school for English literature, but all of these things, all of these skills you were able to apply here and you'll still be able mm-hmm. to apply a lot of them. But we never thought when we first started with you, we never even thought about doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. You were not podcast Sean back then because we were like, what's a podcast? Mm-hmm. And then we started recording this podcast. It was me and Sean and Ryan in this little room at the University of Montana. <laughs> they had this tech incubator called Montech. And mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. I calling it office is generous. It was a storage closet they converted yes. into an office. Yeah. It was exactly what it, we it, needed at the time. It yeah, was, it was it great. Was. I just remember um, we had to Humble like, roots. Yeah, we had to like set up and tear down our podcast stuff every mm-hmm. single recording. And I remember at one point, like we had to switch rooms for some reason and we couldn't get it set up exactly. So like Josh is sitting there like holding his microphone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Those days are, those days were oh, uh, man. great days. Yeah. yeah. We, we made it work. Sean has also been our tour manager for many of our tours. We've done 10 tours in the mm-hmm. last 12 years. And I think yeah. five or six of those, you've been the tour manager for those. Yeah. And so you'll probably see him on the road with us. So if you're coming to any of our Canadian stops in mm-hmm. uh, October, um, you'll get a chance to uh, to say hi to him there. But yeah, I'll be a, a boot there. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, you can say hi to him on Twitter and Instagram. He's at yep. Podcast Sean. Mm-hmm. Sean, we're really grateful for you, man. We yeah, appreciate man. you. Thanks thank for you. spending this time with us. Thank, thank you, you both. And thank the rest of the team. Danny, right here. Eyes up here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And Jordan. Thank you all. And thank all of you. I appreciate it. I'll be around, though. I'm not yeah. uh, being pushed out yet that I know of. No. <laughs> no, man, we're going to miss you, man. It's uh, uh, It was really nice being able to see you on a regular basis. Um, but at least we'll be able to stay in touch and yeah. still work with you in some way, shape, or fashion. Yeah. Thank you. And for anybody that's interested, they can follow the adventures of me riding the motorcycle from here to Missoula, Montana. Did you know? Did I tell you? I didn't really finalize. Did I tell you guys? No, that's amazing. I guess I'm sharing this with everybody now. That's awesome. I decided, uh, looking at all the different options there were Mm -hmm. for getting, so I've got a a Honda CTX 700 in uh, that the gents here helped me get. so I decided, how am I going to get this thing back to Missoula, right? Yeah. And I looked at the options of shipping it, and I looked at the options of riding the thing back. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I'm 49. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No one knows how much longer we have. But especially right. when you start to get middle age, you're like, you know, I'm not probably going to be able to pull off a 1,200-mile ride on two wheels too much longer. Mm. So let's do it while we still can. Heck so yeah. I'm going to ride from here to Missoula, Montana, and I was going to. Crack oh. it on on Instagram, uh, nice. the the ride. Awesome, that's great. At uh, podcast Sean. Yep. Follow his adventures and his <laughs> antics. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's a brand new chapter for our good friend, podcast Sean. Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you. Woo. Yeah, man. Patrons, thank you so much for your time. Yes, patrons. Thank you. Shout out to the live stream. Thanks for joining us today. Love people. Use things. Because the opposite never works. That's right. Beautiful. See you guys. See ya.